In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're discussing Devil May Cry 5, the Devil May Cry anime, and the board game Devil May Cry the Bloody Palace. I'm your host, Tom Sadochik, and today we're going to uh, discuss all those things that I just talked about. <laughs> joining me for the discussion are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. hey And Dr. B, Brian Camille. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show, guys. Brian, you haven't been on the show since the Final Fantasy 16 episode. What have you been up to since the last time we spoke? Uh, just trying to get back into, like, general gaming. We had a period there where we were doing Elden Ring and Final Fantasy all at one time in, like, back-to-back months. So we had a little, a little condensed. Yeah, that was Burns' fault. We tried to space them out last year. He's like, no, no, just jam them all together and we're going to have a great time. Uh, Remember so that, Burns? I take umbrage with that a thousand percent. But... Uh, I'll call Feeny down. Like, she, she was very strategic in how she spread out the video games for uh, this year's, last year's shows, this year. What year are we in? I don't know. It would have been last year's show. Last year, last yeah. Year. It always seems like it starts out as an idea like that, and then it just all gets balled together. Yep. Yeah, and <laughs> just got Burns, like, balling everything up and, like, saying, this will get Brian. Just straight balling. Yeah, straight straight balling, homie. So, uh, Brian, you've been doing nothing but playing video games? Like, is that all you do with your entire life is just, like, sit in your basement in your house and, like, play Monster Hunter World forever? I, 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 no, well, A, I played World with you guys initially and then gave up because like I could not figure it out. Coming back after Rise has been way more fun. I have an understanding of some of the mechanics um, and, and it is still amazing to me that even as someone who has played, like again, hundreds of hours of Rise, I still struggle to figure out all the tutorials in world so it's just like there's no bite-sized way to do this mm-hmm. uh but i did get a i got a nice little break last month when i caught covid for the second time in my life um but thank god did you die i did not all right i know good. it was it was it was hit or miss there uh i think i had a slight fever and after that it was just a runny nose but thank god uh god of war uh valhalla had come out Spent time on that, went through the Final Fantasy 16 DLC, and then finished up uh, Tears of the Kingdom. So, it was lovely. For those that are uninitiated, Valhalla is the new DLC, the free DLC that came out for God of War Ragnarok. Um, that's basically, it's a roguelite game where you're Kratos. Um, and it kind of, my understanding, I haven't played it yet, is that it explores a little bit more of Kratos' past. It, it does, and like it's... The short version is the, the, there's actually quite a bit of storytelling to it. It's kind of explaining how how Kratos views himself and how he kind of comes to uh, resolution on some of his own internal struggles. Uh, but it's for a free DLC, it is hefty. Uh, you play through it multiple times. A single run through is usually going to take about 45 minutes. So you're going through challenge rooms. Uh, usually they're giving you upgrades for one of the three weapons, whatever upgrades they're giving you. Typically then the later upgrades are going to be for that same weapon. So each time you're coming through, you might be focused on blades. You might be focused on the spear. You might be focused on the axe. And then each time you go all the way through it, 
You get unlockables that are more permanent unlockables, and it gives you a big chunk of story, usually involving um, Kratos having conversations with Tyr. Um, so and- do you just skip those, or do you just heave a big sigh? And uh- <laughs> Love. See, here's the thing. Give me good story, I'll sit through it. Yeah, uh, like when Atreus and old What's-Her-Name are wandering through the that swamp part on was the ox. Yeah, let's... Yeah, Angerboda and you. and the the date on the back of the ox that was quite the experience. Uh, uh, what was that like? Twenty? That was like twenty five minutes of gameplay, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Sort of. I yeah. guess if you want to call that gameplay, I don't. I consider that filler. But anyways, uh, yeah. So it's it's definitely if you have not played it, it's a great way to come back into the game. It's going to take you a minute or two to get back into the combat, um, just to get the mechanics down talking about mechanics today you'll see uh, how that can take a minute um but it, it was worth the playthrough for sure and at free who who doesn't like free that's true who doesn't like free it's really I, just the time to install the game back on your hard drive essentially yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i have not gone back to uh god of war since we did the podcast i'm like i'm right before the final climax but i just i'm like oh man i gotta learn how everything works again yeah that's gonna be hard to i think onboard back in probably a little it, bit it doesn't it's it's a lot compared to what we played for this month it is a lot less complex and it won't take you as long look at a couple of move sets remember how a couple of the big things work and then you can kind of fumble your way through this i mean that was a game you can beat by hitting quick attack for most things you just jam on r1 you've now completed the game but those end set pieces tom you have to see that the ending is like a visual <laughs> spectacle to say the least true i could see that visual spectacle or i could finish my second playthrough of lies of p you were on a second one with it you enjoyed mm-hmm. it that much yeah i loved it and the second playthrough is even better because like i've got a fully upgraded uh puppet string and game changer game changer having that fully upgraded like i'm pulling a single dude towards me at all the times i'm never getting swarmed areas that took me 10 hours to clear out mm-hmm. legitimately 10 hours my first playthrough i burst through in an hour friend of the show brandon casper loved it and i've been debating on if it's something i want to do because the problem with souls games to me is you just never get really a chance to relax you're always kind of tense as you're playing like okay have i gone too far am i about to die um but once you kind of get over that i understand it's actually a very very fun game you can see the inspiration certainly from bloodborne but i've heard really good things about it yeah it's phenomenal like the level design is just insane like you never go that far without unlocking a shortcut back to where you are so that helps even if you die like it's never too much of a slog to get back to where you are Liza p was just fantastic bernsey important serious question for you i'm gonna look you right in the eyes as i say this what is your favorite color uh nice dark red like a burgundy yeah is, is that an honest answer is that just because we we're talking about dante and devil May Cry? no that's actually my honest answer i thought you were oh. gonna see the color of tom's eyes like you look over there a lot. Yeah, they're show. burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> I am Diablo. We don't talk. About I have a lot. hard time with telling what color people's eyes are because blues and greens, especially on people's eyes, all looks kind of the same. You usually look at my chest. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, you have some nice packs. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you wear those medium shirts to really accentuate those. Just, extra medium. You, you should watch this extra. guy eat a ghost pepper. His nipples just like erupt. <laughs> Have you eaten a ghost pepper, Tom? I have, yeah. Feeny yeah. once uh, ambushed me one with one at a Super Bowl party. She did, didn't realize that it was a ghost pepper. Did nope. your nipples not erupt? Uh, honestly, I have. I was in so much pain and trying so hard to like mask my tears that I do not know. You you had a ghost pepper. I had a Trinidad scorpion pepper. I think the ghost pepper is actually hotter than what I had. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure because it's the hottest of the hot now is what pepper X 
is the new one that just got bred. The Carolina Reaper's way up there, and then the Ghost, and then the Scorpion. The Scorpion was what I had, and it wasn't like, was it in your tongue or was it your throat? Uh, it felt like my entire head was on fire. Oh, Jesus. And my eyes were just like bursting with water, and everyone's like, what's wrong with Tom? And yeah. then like the host goes back to his chili, he's like, where's the ghost pepper in this chili? Like, <laughs> I've got a pretty good idea over here. <laughs> You're not supposed to rub it all over your face before you chew on oh it. Oh, my God. I do that with all my food, Burns. <laughs> do you think Phoenix did that with intent? No, she, she didn't. She's just like, I'm so tired of this dude and his bullshit <laughs> podcast. It's mm-hmm. time, to, time to graduate <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, death by pepper. Before we jump into our Devil May Cry discussion, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at PremierHealthMN, as in Minnesota.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. That MN is important. It is, especially when you're trying to email your uh, fellow co-hosts of the show. Yeah, things can show up really anywhere. Yeah. You only say it, what, four times a month. How could you forget it? Yeah, I, I I put it into my phone on Brian's contact, too. But, like, you know, I start sending out the show notes, and I just start typing in uh, people's names. And it's like, oh, all right, well, here's one that I've used before. That's probably right, right? The only, the only time he pays attention to the spelling is making sure that the check is written correctly. That's the only time. Tom's yeah. like, Tom, Sal- yep, that looks good. Okay. Good job. Everything checks out here. Uh, if you enjoy Outside is Overrated, please support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. You can also follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me at TomSidLogicOIO on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow Joy at HobbyBoxBurns on X and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Follow the show at facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. All right, let's get into our Devil May Cry stuff. We're going to start our discussion today with the Devil May Cry board game, The Bloody Palace, published by Steamforge Games, which did has done a number of games that we've talked about on the show, a number of games that the three of us have talked about, including Horizon Zero Dawn. It was based on Zero Dawn, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn and the Dark Souls board game. It was designed by James M. Hewitt, who has designed Blood Bowl, Hellboy, and Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. The theme is competitive demon slaying with some hand management and combo building. It's got a board game geek rating of 7.7. On your turn in Devil May Cry, the Bloody Palace, you get one move and you play various attack cards. Each card has a link color coming in and going out, so you can build combos by playing the same colored cards. Once per turn, you can claim your combo, scoring style points for the number of cards in your combo. Brian, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable with the, that basic mechanic of just building out your combos on your player mat? Well, based on the fact that our second playthrough was last night, and like about nine times you guys had to stop me and explain mechanics because I was like deliriously tired. Brian, you can't do it that way. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Uh, a while. Um, but it was re- fun watching you multiply. Like, oh, that's <laughs> ten times two is twenty. Tom is like. Yes, but uh, that's that's not how the points work, Brian. Uh, so just a little context on that. So you have finishers that you put at the end of your combos, and when you put those in, then you add up the number of cards you have, and then that's equal to a point value. And if you have one of those finishers, or most of those finishers, if you have those, you double your point value for it. Um, but Brian couldn't get past the fact of... He just wanted to double the number of cards and then make that the point. Which does work once you get to a combo of 10. Then my math was rock solid because it it was equivalent. Um, But probably it probably took about maybe two phases to kind of really figure it out. It was figuring out the movement 
um, and figuring out that to you have to be able to turn your character and to turn your character takes movement too so it's not like an auto kind of uh, direct thing um, and then once we kind of got the flow of it I, I want to say it was like phase two we were we were moving fairly quick but this game is tries to tell us it's like an hour what was it hour to 90 minutes the box says 60 to 90 minutes when we knew what we were doing it was three hours yeah, our second playthrough was about three and a half hours, maybe a little less than that, because uh, I forget what time you guys both got here, and we sat around and talking for a little bit before we jumped into it. But our first playthrough was five hours and 26 minutes. Yeah, and in our Five se- hours and 26 <laughs> minutes. Our second playthrough, we were wrecking things. I don't think we could go any faster, but um, once we kind of got the groove down, it became very clear how fast we could move the only part that was tricky was you can't always really plan what's happening based the board's going to change by the time it gets to your turn so yeah. sometimes what you had thought about and it would have been quicker to just to do that but by the time you got to your turn it's moved anyways mm-hmm. yeah so Bernsey, what about your uh feel for those basic mechanics the the one move is tricky because you're used to like a game yeah. where you can move you can attack you have so much movement maybe you can move part of that and attack and DMC, you go one block of movement, and then you can discard cards for additional movement. Yeah, well, and yeah, in other games, you can break it up. So it's like I'll use three of my five movement here, do an attack, and then use my other two movement. But yeah, in this game, it's just yeah, all at once. And so I think from the combo management perspective, after I purchased my first set of upgrades, I had a pretty good idea of sort of, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. These are the cards I want to focus on. <clears throat> this is probably what's going to be like the best strategy to try to optimize things uh as far as like the movement i feel like it wasn't until near the end of the first game that i started to have a good feel as to okay this is when i need to use my movement so how am i using whatever tools my character has which i was nero the first time we played so he doesn't have a lot of cards that just grant him movement except for grappling except for Yeah. yeah his his couple of uh like wire like his wire swing ability and then the punchline if you get that um, so aside from that, it was a lot more tricky because you really want to be either start up close to something or use your movement to get up close and then have some mechanism to either get distance or make sure you kill everything so you don't take a lot of attacks back. Um, so, so that part, I think the movement and everything was a little bit trickier than just like the combo system. Cause that really makes sense. Like once you play cards out, you get through a couple of combos, you see how beneficial it is to get a finisher out there. And then you're like, okay, so that's my point to getting as many points as possible. So it's really just trying to build up to, you know, getting as many of those same colored cards as possible and then getting a finisher for that to try to maximize your points. Which is a little bit of luck, too, because like oh, some, sometimes you're drawing a hand and you've got <clears throat> things that synergize really well together. Most characters are going to have two different kind of colored combo cards they can use. Quick clarification. There's uh, three different colors and then a blank color combo for the different cards that your character will draw. There's red combos, blue combos, green combos, and gray ranged attacks that can play off of any color combo. And most characters are only going to operate with two colors. Dante was the only one with three. I believe so. I, I don't think any of the other characters have have three, all three. No, no, Trish, Trish and V did. Two. Yeah, yeah. Nero had two. I don't two. think Nero did either. No, nope, Nero because Nero had didn't two. have red. He had green and blue. I'm pretty sure. Correct. Um, and it's it's interesting because there's times where you were really limited by you have a hand, you had a couple of small things you can do, but nothing really synergizes, yeah. and it's kind of like a wasted turn. Mm-hmm. But then other times you can create these long, beautiful combos, and they are so satisfying to end on that final hit. Mm-hmm. And another clarification there, you have a hand of five cards, 
<clears throat> excuse me you have a hand of five cards you're playing cards under your combo the cards that you have left are either your defensive abilities you can discard cards to shrug off damage or discard cards for movement but your combo persists in between turns so you're trying to build up to a combo of 10 cards you have five in your hand so over two or more turns you're building up this combo uh, and you want to avoid damage because if you get hurt on the enemy turn, you lose your entire combo. Yeah. So the core mechanic is building that combo as big as possible, ending it with the finisher to hopefully double your points, and that's how you get your style or victory points. Yeah, and, and the one other thing that each character has is they will have um, basic cards as well. I believe that's what they're called. Like combo yep. starters, essentially. Yeah, and so for most characters, those are like your combo starters. Uh, for Nero, that's going to be your, like your devil arms will all go out there. And so those are cards that are always out in front of you that you can then throw into combos to either get them started, keep them going, um, or just sort of enhance uh, what's going on with those. Um, and so those are really nice to have to try to like bridge the gap between things mm-hmm. or to end the current combo you're on and then start a new combo with that. And yeah. so it's really just balancing which basic attacks you still have out. If you close your combo, which ones you're going to get back so you can throw those back out there into a new combo um, and then how to maximize that with the cards that you have in your hand. So it sounds complicated, but once you actually start playing it, I think it, it makes a lot of sense and the visuals are really are done really well on the cards to help you understand this is how this matches up to what I'm playing out in my combo. So I thought the variability of the combos was very interesting. There was a point last night we were in the final phase of the boss fight and each uh, round of the fight there's different achievements you can get and we had an achievement up for having a combo of 10 cards and I was sitting on a combo of like seven cards already Burns you had maybe one card out Brian I don't think you had any combo out I'm like oh no. good I'm gonna get that 10 card combo but Brian's turn in the turn order was before me and he's throwing out devil arms he uses his whole hand and like he managed you managed to build a 10 card combo steal that achievement I'm like what just happened yeah, like I was in perfect position for this and Nero's and we'll get into more of the mechanics of each character in a minute. The, the thing about Nero is he has that the base set of cards that he can use all the time, but there are certain ones that are more strong than others, and those ones have to be refreshed. So at the start of a round, you have access to all of them, and he can build almost a 10-hit combo off just those things all at once. Mm-hmm. Plus, we had purchased some things in between rounds that kind of accentuated that. Um, but I, to... To put it frankly, I blew my load and I, I got <laughs> got my 10-card hand, which is worth 10 points. And when you double 10, it's 20. And that's how <laughs> math works. Well, and, and I think uh, – oh, shoot, where was I going to go with that? Um, I, I think – and then so then that was another one of those instances where, like, the turn order mattered, like – a lot. Insanely, because that was the start of the boss round. So you were able to get that 10 combo out. I did have like three or four cards out. Um, and then you were able to go and get the eight combo. And then it's just like, okay, well, I had no chance at either of those things. And that's that's a little bit of a bummer in this game is just how... I think how lucky you get with how some of that plays out and how detrimental that can be sometimes. Um, based upon how that happens. I got the benefit of finishing off, I guess, the boss before that. Um, you know, or the mini boss, or however you want to call it. The Impusa Queen. But uh, but then, yeah, then I got left behind at the start of the boss fight. Yeah. And then pounded by the boss at one point, too. Yeah, and the characters, the characters are so different, too. I think some have natural abilities to be a little bit easier to do that with. Oh, I mean, yeah. When you're managing three colors, that's a lot harder because now these might not fit. 
And we'll talk about that probably right, right now, now, actually. Yeah. Uh, you play as either Dante, Nero, V, or Trish, three characters from DMC5 and another character from the DMC universe. Uh, Joey, how well did the Bloody Palace capture the source material of these characters? Well, Trish is in DMC5. You just don't play as her in, in DMC5. Um, I, I think... So I, th- I think every time that we've played one of these games for the podcast, we- we've always kind of come down to that it did a good... You mean a Steamforge game specifically? Not just Steamforge game, but any of the board games I think that we've played for the podcast, we've always come to the conclusion that it did a good job of representing source like, material. How, it, yeah. how it managed the source material. Um, that's including the, the two Steamforge games that we played. Um, but I do think that out of all the board games that we've played that have been a representation of a video game, this does by far the best job of representing that on the tabletop and sort of translating that over. And I think a lot of that also comes into how the characters are represented and how different that they are. Um, and the funny thing that I found was I, I, you know, and it might just be coincidence a little bit, but I found that like with Nero, I clicked with him like super quickly and how to play him in the board game. Just like in the video game, I clicked with how to play Nero a lot quicker than I did with Dante. And Dante was a lot more tricky. Even by the end of the game last night, when we played it the second time, I really didn't feel like I had a good handle on how make things, how to make things really work or optimize Dante. And that's the same with the video game. By the time I finished <laughs> a video game with Dante, I, 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 I finished it. I you made look it complicated. through, but it's just there's so many there's so many things to try to determine what's going to be the best way to to handle it. Quick pro tip: Nero is a lot more powerful if you cheat with him and use your punish card <laughs> to flip all of your devil arms at once, yeah. as I did in a two player game with Phoenix. Uh, he's just like unstoppable, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome! Just like devil arm, devil arm, devil arm. <laughs> Good times. But even I think even without that, I think he is still pretty strong. Um, he has. You know, what he lacks in mobility, like Dante and Trish have, where they can move, like, before their shooting attacks or after some of their other attacks, he doesn't really have a lot of those tricks, but he has a couple of, like, big move abilities that allow him to get from point A to point B fairly quickly, and he has the most, like, innate movement of any of the characters, because he can move six, where Trish and Dante can only move five with their base movement. Yeah, and those arm movements can pull you a chunk of distance. They can move enemies to you or away from you. Well, not away from you, just to you. Yeah. And it's it is the damage he can output is wild compared yeah. to some of the other characters. Like because there are enemies in this game that do they they take a reduced amount of damage on every single hit. And to be honest, it didn't really affect <coughs> Nero all that much because he can dump so much damage downwind. While say someone like Trish, Trish is more times going to like kind of pelt you with smaller attacks all the time, and then skip away and move away and and use her utility that way. And I also think, like, just, like, the combos in general, like, the different abilities that chain together in the combo and then end with, like, a certain finisher were, like, the actual names of the things and did what, like, the game does. So, like, the cyclone attack where you're hitting everything around you, like, that same thing happens if you play as Nero in the video game. And so, like, all of that stuff kind of matched up extremely well with that. Or if you Um, take Trish and, like, uppercut the knight right in the bunghole. Exactly yes. the same as the game. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's different because Trish wasn't in this game. Um, you could play as Trish in Devil May Cry 3 and 4. Well, I guess technically after you beat 2 also. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that one's a little bit more wonky. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah. And I think also, like, the style meter 
I think represents really well how the style meter in the video game works. Uh, it's just a lot more detrimental when things fall apart with that than it is in the video game. Yeah, in the video game, every little encounter that you have as a style meter, you get ranked on a letter scale from failing all the way up to triple S rating. They try to emulate this in the game with the victory point tracker, essentially, and if you die, you fall way down that. You go down to the first spot in the previous tier so if you're adding uh a d ranking you fall back to f e the start the start basically if you're yeah, at if you have a 20 point drop yep which is massive that's that's again that's a, that's a combo of 10 with the finisher times two and you lose all of it that happened to me last night yep. i was one short when you cross a threshold like say i was in c and you move into b you are now safe because you're in the b and you'll only drop down to the beginning of c i was at the very end of c got killed and dropped down to the beginning of D. And I was just like, oh my God, it's like I started all over again. Yeah. So, and, and well, it's, well, that plays into the strategy of the game a little bit where it's like, you really need to try to like push it to get those extra points to get past those thresholds. It can really snowball fast. And I think it's one of those things where once something like that happens, it starts to, it, it gets, it gets a little bit frustrating to try to see, like, is there any way that you can get back into things after that? And, and Tom got was really like playing almost like a meta version of it last night, where he would move, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but he would move to people that had combos going, and say his turn was ending, the monster was starting next. Tom would move next to some of us that have combos going, and then if we got hit, then. Well, it's likely going to go towards the two people. You get hit, you lose the combo. It was actually a pretty crafty way to be playing it. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, dastardly things that I did last night. I was playing as Trish. Trish has a lot of knockback and follow. And so a couple of times, I would use that knockback to push a monster closer to another player, especially if you guys had already gone in your turn. It's like, uh, well, I know that the monster is probably going to attack the closest person, so I'm going to push them closer to someone else, then I'm going to run back so that I'm not the target of the attack. Uh, there was another instance against the boss where I know that the boss has an attack that targets the person that's in the lead, and I was in the lead, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to stand next to Brian, and if the boss is going to kill me, it'll hopefully kill Brian, too, as a purely spiteful move. And he did it a second time with Joe and killed Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Burns' fault. I was standing in place, and that's Burns... Not a- me. <laughs> Burns moved towards me. It was just it was bad luck in positioning for Burns and the cards that came up for the final boss. Well, because it was it was just it was hard to know it was hard to know where was going to be the best spot for me to be because if I that was the way for me to put the most distance between me and the boss, and so it was either do that or have less distance between me and the boss and a whole and possibly end up being the one targeted. Um, because I think at that point, I don't think Brian had gone yet, um, on that turn. Cause I think Brian went and then the boss activated. Should we break down kind of how the characters work a little bit? Sure. So like, okay, so Burns and I, okay, so let's do this. Burns, you and I both played Nero. Yeah. So Nero, like we said, he's kind of a hard hitter. He's able to do some abilities that actually tack on damage onto every single hit that he does. He lacks a little bit in movement Mm -hmm. uh, naturally because like say Trish and Dante can kind of close distances with attack cards. He can only do it with a couple of ones using his arm abilities to do so. But once you use those, those are now burned out until the next round unless you get a card to replenish them. So he's... He can hit really hard. He was interesting to use in that way. But unless you could get back some of those those movement arms, it felt kind of limited. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your take on, like, how he worked? 
Yeah, I mean, you were really dependent upon you're really dependent upon using your movement as best as you possibly can. The, the sort of base movement that the character has, um, which is six. Yep. He and, can go and, to six bases. And so you, you either needed like enemies to group up so you could jump in and take care of them. Um, or, He's great in a, in a crowd. Like he can yeah. do a lot. Yeah. And, and I think the other benefit that Nero has is he has probably the highest damage multi enemy attacks of any of the characters too, where he will hit three characters, you know, in a given array um, for two or three damage or all the characters around him for more damage. Like I think Trish has one where she hits all the characters around her, but, but all for one damage, one damage. Yep. Yeah, and his combo finisher hits the center guy for four. Yeah. And one of them hits for like four and then everybody else gets hit for two. Yeah. Like, it hits hard. Yeah. So he definitely, and then he also has the exceed cards, which, um, you know, references his, I guess, motorcycle the hit rev. of his gun ring, that he ring. revs it up. Um, and so that adds another damage to all the attacks. So it's like if you get one or two of those like you did last night, I mean, those four attacks are six. And that's going to kill a lot of the little things and put a hurt on a lot of the big things. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think Nero is Nero's the easiest to use that way. He's just the hardest to get into the right position or to get away from trouble. That's what I struggle with. Is you're getting going away. into attack and you don't kill something, you're probably going to get yep. attacked by them if the enemies do attack. Um, so I think that's the trickiest thing with, with Nero. For sure. Because um, then Tom and I used Trish together and... I used Trish the first game, won. Tom used Trish the second game and won. Yeah. I think there's probably a reason for that. Trish has the ability to kind of pepper you with a lot of different attacks and keep moving. So, like, it was easy to use your movement to get one place. But then, like, particularly last night after seeing, I think Tom had kind of watched how Trish works. I mean, he is shoving things three, four, mm-hmm. sometimes like five spaces around the board. Like, how did you interpret how, how her mechanics work? Um. Well, I knew that she had a lot of push, and so I was... A lot. <laughs> a lot of push. I focused on building out her upgrades with uh, ranged attacks, which are great, which can slide into any combo. So, like, I was completely focused on trying to get up to 10 combo, hopefully trying to find the combo finisher to end it and just blowing you guys away on style points. You did. <laughs> yeah, I had to be careful at times because, uh, at least in one occasion, I pushed an enemy too far, and suddenly I couldn't escape far enough away to not be the target of the attack. So, uh, I don't know, mostly as... Trying to push the enemies that I couldn't kill further away from me, and then running away to set you guys up to take the damage. And it, it worked really well. She was she's really efficient that way. And you don't really in a lot of games you always okay. How do I do the most damage? How do I hit the hardest that I can do? And that's definitely Nero. Halfway through the game with Trish, I was like, "Holy crap!" Her ability to be this mobile winds up being such a strength because you don't appreciate how much positioning in this game matters. Oh, yeah. If you are close to things and they hit you, it hurts. Which Tom wound up using V. Now, V is essentially basically almost like a puppeteer. So he's got a minion on the board, but the minion can't kill. V has to do the kill. You want to explain how smoothly that went? Well, first I'll say it's an awesome representation of V. They captured Mm -hmm. the source material of V. Great. They had his primary demon who goes all the way back to Devil May Cry 1. And thematically, it was awesome. In actual... 
playing the character, it really, really sucked. Because, like, V, you're trying to keep him out of harm's way. You're doing most of the damage. But he has a couple of cards that can only be used to finish enemies, which is fine when you're fighting off swarms of Impusas. Because, like, as long as it kills one dude, like, it'll do a pretty wide swath of damage to a lot of things. Uh, as you get later in the game, like, to a boss fight, those cards are an absolute liability because you just can't use them. It's like, all right, well, I have five cards in my hand. Uh, I can't use this card to attack. Great. It's got a one movement or a one dodge. I'm facing probably an attack of six damage, so like my combo's dead either way, so mm-hmm. I guess I'll just discard it and hope for a better draw next time. Well, and if the pet dies, you have to burn a card to bring him back, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, like Shadow was useful because like he functions as a hunter in most ways. The enemies will target him, but if he dies, you burn your card, so your hand of five is down to four, and like you need that shadow shield to keep the heat off of you a lot mm-hmm. of the times. Cool representation, very complicated player to play and extremely limited mobility Well, because the other trouble you ran into with with shadow was you would have keep building combos right but he would just keep doing damage to the same enemy that was at one health and you can't kill him and you can't kill him and so it's like it's like a lot of damage output where it's like it would be great if you could try to get that into another creature to get their them down to one so that v could go in and do the finish but it just doesn't work sometimes with the cards and so yeah he seems like probably the most difficult of the four to play. I'm guessing it's one of those things where once you get optimal with it, you could just shred everybody else. You could teleport, couldn't you, in some way? I saw you do some big jumps around to the board. To do his finisher, right? Yeah, there there were some potentially big moves, but then the problem is, like, you're standing in harm's way after that. Got you. It's like you position Shadow to, like, beat up on the dudes, and then, like, you warp in. You can finish them. That's great. But if you don't finish all of them, like, your combo's at risk, and it's like... I forgot about all that wasted damage output because I focus on combos. Build those combos. Build that style score so that I can compete at the end of the game. And, what was uh, the hit points for him? It was six or less. Okay. Yeah, and, and hit points aren't uniform. Um, yeah. Trish had seven. Dante had eight. eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, six for Nero, and then I think it was six for V. The, we only had one Dante player, and uh, that was Burns last night. I did not envy you in any way watching how many cards are on the table, how much text are on these cards. I asked him a couple of times what he was doing. He explained it. I didn't get it, but and I just, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I know what's going on. Are you on. having fun? Yep. All right, good. Stop talking. Uh, what, was your, what was your opinion on Dante? So he's definitely interesting to play. There's a lot of stuff going on yeah. with him, um, you know, but he has the benefit of, he has the benefit of basically doing a lot of the same things that like either Trish or Nero does. It just depends upon like what combo you're doing. And forms. He's got like different forms. Yeah. Right? So similar to the video game where he has his four stances, you start off with just the defensive stance, which is Royal Guard. And so basically when you are taking an attack, you can discard a card to do the defense or dodge value on that card to block that much damage or not take that so if an enemy is attacking you for five and you discard a card that's worth a two defense then you block two you take three damage uh royal guard basically says whenever you discard cards to block you add one to the final value of the dodge value and so if i got rid of two cards that were worth four total then it would be five i would block that full five damage coming at me from Mm. the enemy um the problem is is how often are you really holding on to those cards to dodge? And how often, the, tra- the trap I ran into sometimes with him, how often would I hold on to cards to dodge, but then not get attacked? And then it's like, okay, do I just discard this? Because I'm not going to 
do I keep it for another turn just because it has a three defense, which means I probably don't take damage from what's coming at me with four block. So that was one of the tricky things with him. We didn't really block much in general, did we? I think I only blocked one thing last night. I don't think I blocked anything on the first round. Tom did once because you got a uh, achievement for it. Yeah, I uh, against one of the mid-sized figures. Yeah. I had five dam or four damage coming at me, and I had uh, two cards that I held on to. I positioned myself specifically to get that achievement. Yeah, I think it's similar to the game where, with Royal Guard 2, I never really figured out how to actually use that. And it was more so just dodge and then and just push on the attack. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of ran into that same thing. So his other stances will either then allow you to pull back a melee card. So you discard a card from your hand to pull back a melee card from your combo. Basically allows you to do that damage again, um, as long as you can fit it into your chain at the end. And then Gunslinger Stance is the same thing, pulling back um, a ranged attack card to be able to shoot that again uh, within there. Uh, And then the final one is the Trickster, which basically just gives you extra movement. When you discard cards for movement, you get an extra movement. Yeah, when you were doing the Balrog, which is essentially like the the martial arts, the the actual hands and leg strikes, he was all over the place. (laughs) Uh So yeah, so and then each of his combos that you can build, so the different colors you can build are representative of, of his different weapons that he has in the game um so the sword uh the rebellion i believe is the name of his sword if i remember correctly um that's like his blue chains and so that's all sort of built off of using that and those are very similar to i would say those are very similar to nero and how nero plays and then the red ones are the balrog which are like the cuffs are the the gauntlets that he uses to melee punch enemies um, or to that, milk cows based on the hand yeah they could doing be there. that too depending yeah. on how or you skiing see them. or uh, yeah. a very active prom night <laughs> <laughs> but he uh so so that felt a little bit more like trisha's melee attacks where she would attack or move and then attack or attack then move and then attack again um so that was an interesting sort of dichotomy but it all comes down to getting the right colored cards so that you can string some of those together. Because yep. that was the problem I was running into is I would get a batch of one set of cards, but I'd never get all, I'd never get, a, I wouldn't get a finisher at the right time, or I wouldn't have enough of those cards to string a long enough combo to really cash in on that. That's the problem with the complexity of the deck, right? You only have five cards to draw from. Yeah. So because of that, you're only getting such a small sample size. And if God forbid they don't fit, yep. there's not a oh, ton yeah. you can do. Or like the turn last night, you had, Brian, you drew three combo finishers out of your five cards. Like, oh, yep. how'd that turn work out for you? It, it actually, the part that was funny about it is like, so until you get to like four cards in the combo, you don't register any style yeah. points. I was able to dump a bunch of damage on the enemies and kill things off pretty quick. But because there was no combos generated, there was no combo score generated. Yeah. And essentially, I wound up getting health globes, not health globes, red red orbs is what the currency is when you kill something. Yeah. I got orbs, but it really didn't help me in the long play of the game. So I, it gave me some currency. I did the best I could with it, but there was really no other option. The two other tricky things with, with Dante, because I ran into that issue too, where I had actually, he's I think the only character that has starters in his deck. So I had that once where I had like two starters in my deck or in my hand when I drew. And it's just like, well, I can't start the same combo twice. Um, he also has three green combo cards so total weird. in his entire set, which is just super strange to me because, you know, where some characters will have multicolor cards, so you could use that to bridge the gap between one combo to the other. 
his only multicolor cards start are starter cards. They start with the yellow. So you could just start with that, but then it could be any color after that, which doesn't help you with those green combos. So it's literally that that combo was supposed to be a two card combo and that's it, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you get, you don't get points for that. You don't, there's no benefit to completing that combo of only two. Green would um, Especially since you can't cash in more than one combo in a turn. Um, cause then it's like, it's not like you could just go ba-bam, ba-bam, and then start another one. You'd go ba-bam and then ba, and then that's it. Uh, so, so that was, and then the other really tricky thing with Dante, he had the least amount of, uh, basic attack cards. He only had three cards. So there's a lot less, you're, you're more reliant on your hand then to be able to string things together, um, with only those three cards and two of them are starters. So it's really like I had like the one gunshot that I could sort of chain in there after that. Otherwise I just was weak. Whereas I think Trish had the most basic attack cards. She has four basic attack cards, two are starters. One is a blue combo card and the other is a gray card that can be played in any. So she could always do at least three cards to start a combo. Yep. And then Nero, (laughs) I think has four as well, but then all of his devil arms go into the basic attacks. You can buy a lot. So of you too. end up having, you could end up having like seven or eight cards down there. I think yep. if you buy all the, the devil arms. Um, and so that was the other thing that was a little bit limiting playing as Dante. And so he also seems like one of those similar to V where it's like, I feel like you really have to get to know how the character plays to really be able to optimize and do well as him. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that he's a terrible encapsulation of the source material. The whole game is trash and should be pushed into the magma. No, because it's like it matches up with how I played as him. Like I didn't really understand. Last night I mostly just did blue combos and gunshots because that's what it was. And like, look at the game. I used the sword most of the time. Once I got the nunchucks, I used that a lot. And then I did ranged attacks with the with the rocket launcher all the time. And so it matched up how I played him in the game because I couldn't figure out how to do all of his other stances <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I bu- basically bounced between two of his stances throughout the game, maybe one other one for traversal and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it actually captured it pretty well. And maybe if I got better at Dante in the video game, maybe I would have been better as Dante in the board game. I don't know. Dante's the only one where I had questions to the developer. Like, why did you do it this way? Because with Dante, so when we're talking about combos, you get a card called a combo finisher. And a combo Mm -hmm. finisher usually hits very hard. And when it does, there's two ways to do it. You can either just claim your combo. Like, hey, I'm done with my combo. I'm starting a new one. You take your points. But when you play a combo finisher, what it does is you take your points and then whatever your points were, it's doubled by the combo finisher. The part that didn't make any sense about Dante's green cards. I think it is the only combo finisher that did not double was it the, is it the green one that was the only one that did not double yeah. the score points? What That doesn't make any sense. So, not only, it would make more sense to me if that thing like tripled your points <laughs> because if it's if you can't link it with other things you yeah. should be rewarded for the ingenuity and the flexibility yeah. of doing it. But it, it was like, even if you did get it, it's like yeah. it sucks. <laughs> I'm guessing the only reason they did that was that it was probably really hard to actually make it into a combo that would score. So they didn't want to rub it into the fact, like, the only thing you could really use with it is a bunch of ranged attacks, but then you're having to have those starter cards, which the green starter is only in your deck. So it's like you're going to have to have those and ranged attacks in order to make it work. And the likelihood that you're going to get that batch of cards in there at the same time or have set up the one thing to be able to get those other pieces later on, I think it's just so... 
Top so choice. Slim. Especially since, and I think I bring it up later in the notes, but I'll bring it up now. You don't have a mechanism to cull cards in this game. I think that is, like, this is like the first deck builder type of game where that's the case. And maybe it's because this isn't a deck builder, you're just adding more things into there. That's the one thing that doesn't really represent the, the source material well. because Maybe it's like, a deck grower instead of a deck builder? I don't know, but it's like... Because the, the biggest thing is it's like in the video game, if you unlock an ability and don't use it, it's not like it pops up and the game tells you, hey, use this ability. You have to use this ability or you just like can't do anything this turn. Like that's the one thing. It's like I really wish there was a mechanism where I could take cards out of my deck too so that I could streamline it down. Now, granted, it would have to be limited because otherwise you could make some like <laughs> just killer combos and like Non-stop. really Yeah, nothing but blues deck. and grays in my Trish deck. It'd be great. But it's like if I could take out like a card per round like once you buy things you can get rid of one card out of your deck i think that would go a long way in at least pruning it a little bit more in the right direction so that's a problem i had in our first game with nero is i like got a ton of red orbs that second to last game and i unlocked like i think there was like three things i didn't buy of his by the end of the game but then it's like i got this fat deck and it's like at what point like, I'm not getting a lot of the same things anymore to really combo things together. So it's almost like a detriment to some extent to upgrade a lot of things fully. Um, God forbid your combo is at the end to your combo ender. If it's at the end of the deck, too bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you get a strategizer, you can go seek for it. Like, yeah, there you go. That's the only thing. There you go. I, by the way, I did. There is a feature called uh, Interrupt, which is cool. We didn't really touch base on it, but um, it allows you to, the second somebody is stating that they're playing on their turn, you can play an Interrupt, you get movement and an attack. So it is a little bit tricky because you can run in and like steal some things. We had a double Interrupt last night. I was playing and having fun by myself. Joe was rude and decided to interrupt me. Tom decided to interrupt Joe, who felt bad and then realized what he did was wrong. And then we just kept playing but it was it was really interesting like how that dynamic worked too it was interesting because i was sitting on my interrupt and like you need to steal kills you need to get red orbs to upgrade your deck that's a core mechanic so i'm sitting on my interrupt and like i know it's brian's turn and there's a weak dude around i'm like all right well i'm gonna jump in and i'm gonna steal this and i it's very hard to just leave it on my deck and like not tip off that i'm gonna interrupt and then burns <laughs> pulls out his interrupt and like he's holding it in his hand and like glaring at brian and you call it out i'm like Ooh. Oh, Burns is going to do it. Okay, okay. Just calm down. Let Burns play his interrupt. Let him play his card. Interrupt! And the uh, second Burns lays it down, Tom's like, interrupt. I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting well, you. I'm interrupting you. It, it was tough because I think I was going to play it because I thought he... And he played, like, a different card that wasn't a combo card. So I was like, oh, oh. So I just left my hand out there. But it was pretty clear what my intentions were. And if we had both thrown our interrupts down at the same time, first player gets to decide who yep. goes first, and you were first player. So I, like, I had to wait until you played your interrupt, played your combo card. Yeah. Interesting. Neat, neat piece. But summarizing our thoughts on the characters, I think uh, they all captured the source material really well. They all had their unique stick that kind of tied to the games, and I think, for the most part, we all enjoy them. V is my favorite character in 5, but he was painful in the game, but at least I can appreciate his unique mechanics um any dissent with the fact that they captured the source material well no i i think they they did it extremely well i think uh i think nero is fairly straightforward hits hard that's what happened in the game v uses his puppet to soften things up moves in for the kill that's exactly what happened in the game Dante can be overwhelming with the amount of options you have that's certainly reflected in the game and with Trish, we don't really need a reflection for Devil May Cry 5, but like Trish, 
in any other medium I've ever played her in, like say Marvel vs. Capcom three, she's extremely mobile, and I feel like yeah, that that is captured by this game as well. Yeah. Good job, Steam Forge, in capturing the characters. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the scoring in this game. Once per turn, you can claim an achievement for accomplishing something specific, like doing a certain amount of damage or dodging or hitting a number of enemies with ranged attacks. At the end of the game, these achievements add to your style and help determine the winner. Burnsy, we talked about the style track a little bit, but did it serve as an adequate victory mechanic for this game? I think it did. Um, you know, with the... <laughs> So, with the whole exemption that the final boss, the only boss that's in the core box, has a blue shell mechanic. So, like, in Mario Kart, the blue shell, somebody, like, back in the pack will get the blue shell. And it's it's the shell, it shoots out, and it only hits the leader. And, well, unless somebody's, like, right behind the leader, then they'll get hit by it. But otherwise, it only hits the leader of the, of the game. And it's, it's a mechanism that's used to sort of rubber band the people behind up forward and to put Brian back in his place. No, because it, it, it knocked me out in this game. And Mario Kart, Brian's in the lead. Got it, got it. I see, I see, I see. Uh, so, so, so the main boss basically has an attack where he's going to move eight towards whoever is highest on the style. Eight meter. is a lot of distance, by the way. In eight this is game. like basically from anywhere on the board he can get to almost anywhere else on the board um last night was one instance where he just didn't quite make it but i still took the brunt of it anyway he was on one edge of the board and i was one space but, away so i think the board is 10 spaces yeah, away he, at its yeah, longest he point he had taken a card that put him all the way to the left edge and he almost still got there that's yep. insane um and so yeah and then does eight an eight damage attack which is the highest attack that anything has in the game and uh you either well, Dante would just need to dodge one to take the eight damage attack, but for Nero, you need to Two. throw at least three to stay. Oh, alive. you're right, you're right, because that's six um, and dead. And you know, when you're holding one card, knowing that you, if you take an attack, I could block with it, um, and that would only block two, and it wouldn't do any good. That that was the other thing that hurt. So, so yeah, that kind of that was that was the only real frustrating thing because not only you're in the final fight of the game. And you fought to get all the way up on this track, like, close to the SS ranking, which is the second highest ranking. And then to drop down so many tiers and basically fall behind everybody at that point. Yeah, even behind V. How did that taste? Yeah. Well, and it's just like, and then it's like, well, what can I do to try to catch up? And, you know, so many of the achievements, jumping into that phase, in the boss battle don't matter. Like, it's just... I think that's one of the weaknesses of the game are the achievements and that I don't think they're varied enough because it really is just kind of the breakdown of what you said. It's either do X amount of melee attacks to different enemies uh, in a turn or do kill two enemies, hit so many with a gun, yeah. hit so many with melee. And they're not high point yeah. values. Or they're do like X amount of damage. Three. So one thing I did find out uh, looking through the FAQ this morning is so do X amount of damage in one attack. So for, like, Nero's abilities where you're attacking multiple things at once, that adds up. Oh, they all add. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's a mechanism to do it is if you have multi-enemy attacks and you're hitting them with uh, hitting multiple enemies with them, then that's a way that you can 
you can get up to that five or seven threshold. And the thing that was interesting about the boss fight is I think that they designed it with the intent that the boss fight is going to be really where a lot of the action happens. We had a lot of lead changes in the boss fight. Part of that is due to the fact that, A, you could be killed. That That is a thing. It can knock you down. Also with the boss fight, that boss had 65 hit points. Yep. That's a lot of hit points. So you are having to produce long combo strings to even deal with him. Um, so you have a lot of scoring in that last round. And just like we had the first game, we had leads changing dramatically. Um, I was, I think, probably in third place starting in the first game. By the time that we finished, the board only goes up to 95 points total. I had maybe cleared 95. I launched two massive combos mm-hmm. that let me score 40 points, which went halfway around the board to finish the game. Yeah. So it's it's that, that end fight was really, it just felt like give and take. And it was it was a lot of fun because there was so much happening in it. But if you get hit yeah. and you get behind, and there's a lot of and there's not a lot of hit points left, there's nothing you can do. There's yeah. just there's not enough time. So that and so you know your perspective on that is that um, my perspective on that, that was is an interesting way to put that. Well, because like, <laughs> you were the one that went from you know in the back distance third, ahead, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, to me, I think. The reason why that's such a problem in this game is that it negates the entire two and a half to four and a half hours you spent before that, really. Um, And I would almost maybe argue you're better off to struggle through the first parts of the game, not upgrade your deck as much so that it doesn't have as many side things and only has the things to do combos in it to against the boss. Because if... The whole mechanism against the boss is to A, not get hit, but B, string together as large a combos as possible, not be the leader. You're better like sandbagging for the first part of the game and then jumping up at the end to try to jump into the lead. Because you can. Because you can. Because there's so much room with hit points. Yeah. Hit points are, are basically your timer. Hit yeah. points run out, game over. Yeah, and so so it's I true think, of a lot of games. Yeah, <laughs> this one particularly though for the boss fight because it's like if he's again like we had last night, you and I knew when there's ten hit points left, Tom had it. Unless he got killed, which he avoid, there was nothing that we could yeah. do to even come close. The, yeah. the last ten points were were pretty much pointless. We just yeah. knew it was over. Well, because that's the other thing is that you get more points by stringing combos together at the end than actually like beating the boss. So well. Like, Technically, it'd be a tie unless you have a combo finisher because you can get up to a 10-card combo, which is 10 points. You get 10 points for being the one to actually kill well, the right. boss. But so it's like you get 10 points for killing a boss, but you have a 10-point or 10-card combo with a combo finisher. That's better than killing the boss, especially if you do two of them. Like, that's way better than killing the boss. And so it's like almost <laughs> like your benefit is to just pepper little amounts of damage and string together as big of a combo and cash it in as much as possible than actually achieving the goal of finishing the game. Which is why I think Trish won twice. She's yeah. really good at that part. Yeah. And she could just keep going. Yeah. And so I think, I, I don't know, I think that's one of the problems. And I think one of the other weaknesses that I bring up when we get to it, and maybe we could just jump to that now, is... I think one of the other weaknesses is you only have this one boss fight. So then it's like, if I know that this is the boss that we're fighting and this is what has to be done in order to beat him and win the game against him, you can like probably like prep all the way up to that in certain ways to try to maximize towards just that boss without having any other bosses in the, in there or other boss scenarios to sort of plan around or have to deal with. 
A, it hurts your replayability, but B, it makes it just, it's all about this game about beating this Elder Greyon Knight and that's it. Um, I think there's a lot of fun in the journey up to that, but the fact that it's limited to just that one boss fight really hurts it. Similar to Horizon, which only had the one final boss monster that you fought. And so then it's like, well, how many more times can I play this without it just being the same game? Like there's differences in between, but really it's just finishing the same game. And I think that's the unfortunate thing about it. Especially when, granted, there's not as many expansions with Devil May Cry, the the Bloody Palace, as there are with like something like Horizon, but it's still like forty to sixty dollars a pop, depending upon what kind of deal you can find to buy the expansions that add the couple of bosses that are out there. Um, and so I think that's the other kind of pain point with it. Well, while we're talking about the expansions, at least when you buy an expansion, you get all the right minis, right? Like everything works and like everything. You know, you get to expand on your gameplay experience, right? Um, so if if you're liking a lot of what you've heard here, um, I would caution you before buying this game at retail, the two expansions that have big boss minis, um, when they created the game originally had miscasts on those boss miniatures. So people that kickstarted the game received a separate box that had the actual miniatures for those two bosses in there. If those aren't out there with the retail version, you're going to get miscast creatures that don't fit on their bases and basically are not a complete representation of what they were supposed to be. I'm fighting Sonic in the last round. It's the only thing that works. Yeah, so so I think that's one thing to watch out for if you're going to buy it. If you, you would want to ask before you buy it whether they have the replacement miniatures or not. Um, or if you really think that you would like this game, you're a huge Devil May Cry fan, then you would want to try to buy like someone's all-in Kickstarter like used in order to make sure that you got that. Quick, um, quick question for on the replayability when you're talking, because I think you're right. This game probably does struggle with replay, replayability. A lot of board games do. Um, how many different phases were there and how many different variations? There are three phases, four phases to each game. There's the start phase, which each player count, one, two, three, four players has, I think, two different starting cards. Then you play two level cards, which are varied based on the number of players. And then there is one boss fight. So there's potentially three different scenarios for each level that you could play could you drew up exactly what we did the first time by accident the second yep. time and yeah i was like okay i gotta fix this yeah and i'm like oh well i peeked ahead at the cards because there's a few different enemy types in the box I'm like oh well this is exactly what we played the first time so i just cherry picked different uh level cards for each one which meant different enemies different groups of enemies different configurations just so that we'd have a broad experience playing against all the different enemy types yeah and so and I think so. I think the boss expansions are probably important to have for this. One of the other things that I think really should have been included in the game is there is an a there's an expansion that's just for the devil triggers for the uh, different characters. And so what that does is you replace your miniature with the devil trigger miniature. So it's like the devil trigger version of your character. Um, with V, you get nightmare, uh, yes. which is pretty cool as well. Um, and then how that works is you get a separate Devil Trigger deck, which is then stronger cards to represent the abilities you have when you're using your, like, sort of built-up ultimate ability that you get um, within the video game. Um, and that's just, like, with that not in the game, like, 
that just feels weird not having that in the base game because um, it's a huge part of the game itself it is it is um and so so i think that's that's like the knock similar to a lot of the steam forge games it's just that it's like why would you create a base game that's not the entire experience that you think is the best experience for the game and i know a lot of other uh Board game publishers do that thing. It's not just Steamforge that does it. Um, it's just we've played a lot of their games for this, and they have like that recurring kind of theme with a lot of these. Horizon, I think, was far worse than a lot of the, uh, than than like Devil May Cry probably is. Um, this is my favorite one of Steamforge that we've done or Stormforge, excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I I would probably play this again over the de- the Dark Souls one. I think the Dark Souls one has more variability with the base game, so mm-hmm. that's like a plus for it. And like Dark Souls was awesome. I, I mean, I enjoyed what we played of it the couple of times we played it. Uh, it's definitely a little bit harder to grasp. It was funny when we were setting up for Devil May Cry the first time. I asked you guys about playing Dark Souls, and neither of you had any recollection of playing the board game together. Yeah, I I'm forgot. Like, we yeah. played it for Elden Ring. Yeah, because yeah. I remember me and you played it together with phoenix once mm-hmm. but then we did play it together mm-hmm. once yeah we, if, we got around to it it took a while to jog our memories if i could suggest anything in this game too um and and i'm the one that made the most errors with it Burnsy made one towards the end dante and nero's characters look very similar <laughs> yes and i can't tell you how many times i grabbed the wrong guy and then at one point Burns is like, no, this is your guy. I'm like, no, I, I quadruple checked. It's, oh, wait, no, 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 I was right this time. It was just, they're just very similar looking. Yeah, family resemblance. No kidding. So, in all, it's a fun game. There is a lot of yeah. enjoyment here, like slaying the low level demons, collecting the orbs, upgrading your deck. There's a lot of good stuff. It suffers a little bit from replayability. Uh, but as a Devil May Cry fan, and like as a fan of even like action RPGs adapted for a board game format, like there's a lot to enjoy with mm-hmm. Devil May Cry, the Bloody Palace board game. Uh, any final thoughts before moving on? No, I mean, I would like to play. I'd like to play as all the characters at least once. It's just one of those things where I just don't know if it would get over the top of other games that I have in my collection or that are in your collection that I'd either want to play again or would want to play for the first time. Like, I think that's like the the issue that it would run into is, especially since we don't have any of the extra content. It's like after I play as the other two characters, it, you're just playing through the same stuff over and over again, and at that at some point, that just doesn't entice you as much yeah it captures the source material really well yes it does and i really enjoyed it and the combo building mechanic is very unique i can't think of anything similar to that in board games but realistically when is this ever coming to the table again and the cool part the part that i take away with the best is someone who plays less board games as you guys how dramatically different playing each character is mm-hmm. it is you can't go in really with a similar style uh, as to using a Trish than you did with Nero. And Try I th- going from V to Trish. That is an experience. <laughs> I would imagine. If we play two more times, play V first and then be Trish. Watching Tom play V, I was just like, because we were trying to figure out who we were going to play in the second game, and I'm like, I'm not playing V. But I also <laughs> feel like knowing enough about other games where you're doing like puppeteer work, so like things like similar to like Guilty Gear, or like even if you're looking at like say Rosalina from Super Smash Brothers uh, Ultimate or things like that, um, I, I'm pretty sure that those puppet characters oftentimes can be really overpowering once you start to kind of really flush them out. So I might even look online to see if I can find someone who's like really, really good at playing V to see what that would do. You used to, have to watch Tom. Yeah, yeah. 
Triple S style every time. Yeah, Tom dropping 80 points of damage onto a single thing and it's not dying. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get my combo going! <laughs> Something kill this thing! It's all about the victory points. And speaking of victory points, hey guys, I was throwing down some sick combos with my Devil Sword Tom and I think I tweaked my back. Do you know where I can get some green orbs so I can get back to my Triple S combos? Uh, check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accidents, devil hunting injuries, and more. I suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. Uh, and if I may add on to that, so uh, as you guys are about to find as we go future, there was a lot of forearm, I think, injuries uh, in this game as we played. <laughs> Um, uh, when it comes to repetitive stuff like that, whether it's forearm, wrist, uh, that is something that the clinics often do see now, and we are seeing more of kids coming in with some of this stuff mm-hmm. from repetitive gaming. Um, once you kind of get their forearms to calm out, they, they feel quite a bit better, but there's a lot of competitive computer gaming teams now in schools, and we're seeing injuries from it, which is crazy. It is crazy that the, now there's competitive leagues in yeah. schools for this stuff, and it makes me smile as an old nerd. They just had the state <laughs> esports uh, championship at the Mall of America oh, last it. weekend. I love it. Um, That's awesome. Well, if you have kids and they're involved in those competitive esports and ha- are having these recurring injuries, check out Dr. Camille at Premier Health. Visit their website at premierhealthmn.com. Premier Health MN, as in Minnesota.com. So, just another quick medical, like, what? How would you approach this if someone came? Oh, you do a thumb in the bottom. Maybe this would help for this. So, if someone came in and they just have weird core and back issues from repeated sword impalings from getting new weapons, like, how is it that you would approach like? Solving those injuries. Generally, what you do is you start with a bucket of KFC's old-fashioned thighs. Once you can nibble them down to largely the bones, good three, four shakes. Now, you remember when you do the shaking, you've got to, when you shake the bucket, it's got to be counterclockwise. It's a really common issue people run into. If you go counterclockwise, it's where you want to be. Clockwise is going to kind of probably exacerbate what's happening. But after you do that a couple of times, a couple hymns, maybe a Hail Mary, and God knows I love singing a good, like, um, long save the queen, um, you're pretty much good to go. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. <laughs> FreemareHealthMN.com. Next up, we'll discuss the Devil May Cry anime. Originally released in Japan in 2007, the anime covers 12 episodes of Dante squaring off against demons. Produced by Capcom, Media Factory, and Toshiba. Uh, the English dub stars the voice talents of Ruben Langdon as Dante. He is a stuntman by trade, but he's been playing Dante since Devil May Cry 3. Hilary Hogg is Patty. She has 206 acting credits. She's done a ton of anime. Melissa Davis as Lady. She has 32 acting credits and was last a part of the Starship Troopers Invasion. Uh, Lucy Christian played Trish. She has 516 acting credits. She did 97 episodes of My Hero Academia. Yeah. Dang. Nailed uh, it. I was yeah. surprised. Uh, especially with, you came to it so trepidatious, and I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, we'll just slow down, we'll slow down the mouth, let the brain act for a second, and, uh, alright, DMC anime, Burns, is this the uh, best anime you've ever seen or what? Nope. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> no. it made me really want to watch Trigun again. So Ooh. a goofy gunfighter in a long red coat, coat fighting uh, weird monsters. Uh, yeah, it just... After, like, the first episode, I really just wanted to watch Trigun again. So. Oh. So, Brian, you must be in the other end of the spectrum. Like, I saw that you got a Devil May Cry anime tattoo right on your, uh, <laughs> right under your peck. I like a shirtless Dante, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? You'd like the MC3, then. The, uh, oh, it, yeah, the openings. 
Like, yeah. The whole game, mostly, I think. Huh. Well, I'll have to chalk that up to my, maybe my birthday next year. I take a full day off. Maybe I'll just get on the couch and get some baby oil and go. Yeah, just get a red trench coat and no shirt on underneath it and just roll with it. Sounds like, uh, honestly, like, the, the and, and just a sick, quick sideway. It kills me the style in these in these games and this anime. It just reminds me of, like, if someone was, like, a really big fan of Chris Angel and decided to, like, make a series based on it. It's, like, that aesthetic from, like, the across the board. Um, I, I really struggled with the early episodes. Um, I feel like they couldn't quite figure out what kind of vibe they were going for initially. Mm-hmm. Was it more serious? Was it not more serious? And then when they started to kind of get into more of the humor of it, that I really started to enjoy it. Um, but it just it took it definitely a couple episodes to kind of get the feel. I disagree. I mean, the first episode starts off, you get Patty, and like I, I enjoyed this ride. I'm not going to say that it was great, and we'll talk about where it ranks against some other animated things that we've talked about on the show a little bit later but uh i really enjoyed it although i wouldn't recommend it to anyone who is unaware or has no affinity for dmc like mm-hmm. if i'd watch this first i'd be like oh my goodness what are we doing for the show and why do i do a dumb podcast every month <laughs> i think dante though even if you weren't a fan of dm uh, of the dmc universe dante's character is at least humorous and aloof and funny enough where i think you could like probably keep you like focused for a little bit at least but the rest of it maybe was a little bit of a struggle now you guys both hated the show with a burning fiery passion it was mostly a monster of the week feature with a couple of overarching plot points that were set up in episode one and paid off at the end of the season uh was there anything that you enjoyed about the format of this show brian um i thought that they did a good i they did a good job of introducing characters that are like staples kind of slowly throughout the the episodes and just i was really worried that that dante was just going to be a super cool awesome guy all the time and just like he does is, everything yeah. perfectly but like they also just show like how he's like lazy he's a slob he's like a degenerate gambler he doesn't pay anybody back yeah. like he's got all of these faults and they just try, <laughs> so they just try to deal with him so i appreciate that they brought that up um and then again like once they got into the, some of the humor like particularly the episode called uh in private which is a guy is trying to gain the the admiration of a waitress um the humor was good the, uh-huh. so actually i enjoyed more of the humor than i did the action not to say though that the action was not cool the action was slick it was clean definitely it lived up to what i think devil may cry cares about for action and and those fight scenes are those are worth some of those are worth watching just on their own yeah so it must be like having being half devil must really like give you an increase like you must have like the fires of creating your metabolism because if he was all human and only ate pizza and strawberry sundaes he would be like morbidly obese (laughs) no one can stop the blob (laughs) hey was it was it with pizza with olives what's his pizza he usually had no. He didn't like. He it didn't like olives. olives. It. Okay. it was usually just like meat and basil. Yeah. <laughs> like it was. I think he said it was like smoked salami and basil. Oh. It was like the one he ordered. Okay. Uh, I agree with Brian. The fighting was awesome in it, and I just I love the way that Dante interacts with the world. Like he's so blunt when he's speaking with people, and he's so nonchalant about stuff. And then it's time to fight a demon. He just like gets up, grabs a sword. Awesome fight sequence. And like I just I could watch Dante do that for a hundred episodes. I overall was bored. I would have liked a little bit more of a, like, narrative through line. There's, like, a little bit of some, like, semblance of connection between, like, the first episode and the last few episodes. But, like, overall, I would have really liked to have 
some sort of development of Dante from start to finish. So the monster, of the monster of the week format was a detriment to you. I think so because because it just they're just it's just like okay another one of these and then it really came down to how interesting was the monster that they were trying to combat or how interesting was the scenario in which they were going about that. Like the poker tournament. That was at least, that was yep. like you had mentioned, you'd like that one. That was an interesting setup, how it went and all of that. But you're right. Dante, not just Dante, but a lot of the characters were very flat. Mm-hmm. And like, for those of you that like anime, like say like fruit basket is one of the most loved animes out there. I struggle with fruit basket because the protagonist is the same screaming, boring person from the first episode through 32. And when there's not change, I just, they get stale. I guess there's no other way to put it, right? Just get stale. Mm-hmm. Stale over 12 episodes? It didn't take long. Yeah. I mean, I was bored partway through the first episode. So. Yeah. And it, and I, I tried to go in with an open mind. It just it just took a while to, to, to catch me. But definitely some of the, the demon design, some of that was really, really cool. In fact, some of the demon design, I'm wondering if it inspired some of the Castlevania stuff. Um, also inspired, obviously, by a video game source material. Some of the demons... Also a Capcom property, right? Uh, no, no, Konami. Konami. Oh. So, oh, shoot. So, but I, but we don't know who produced it. So, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But, like, some of the demons looked somewhat similar to the demons in Castlevania. And that, I, I don't think that's probably an accident. Well, I think a lot of that is just sort of general anime demon designs. Because a lot of that seems similar to some other demons that pop up in random other anime <laughs> mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, I think I mentioned it later on the show notes, but I'll just bring it up here because we're talking about it. I was bummed that they didn't include more demons from like the video games up to that point. Yeah, because they're cool looking yeah. and they're creepy. That's, yeah. The board game nailed those. <laughs> like I'm fine with them doing like original ones for this, but it would have been cool for them to bring back some of the more iconic ones from like the first game or the third game um, and just see some of those pop up. Because I, I, to my knowledge, and granted I'm not... Other than watching through, like, everything that kind of happened in the first three games and playing through the first part of the first one, I don't have a whole huge backlog of that. But, yeah, it seemed like they were all pretty unique to the anime, which it would have been nice to have a little bit more connection there to the source material. That's fair. Yeah, agreed. So where does the Devil May Cry anime rank against other animated media we've consumed for the show? Uh, For comparison, we've talked about Cowboy Bebop. Full Metal Alchemist, Princess Mononoke, Castlevania, I'll let you make your clarification later, Burns, and Dragon's Dog-Ass Anime. Saving myself a bleep right there. So you can say... Dog-Ass. Oh, Dog-Ass. Dog-Ass. Did it sound like... It it sounded like you said Dog-Ass. Alright, well, where does it rank against other animated media we've consumed for the show? For comparison, we've talked about Cowboy Bebop, Full Metal Alchemist, Princess Mononoke, Castlevania, and Dragon's Dog-Ass Anime. So you just, if you're going to beep it, you might as well just beep might it. Might as well, yeah. <clears throat> you're putting it against some really stiff competition, too. Outside of, like, the draw, the Dragon's Dogma, and Castlevania, I think, is good. But, like, Cowboy Bebop, Metal Alchemist, and Princess Mononoke are, like, staples. In the- yeah. You're, 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 uh, what, what are, we're going to compare it to The Shining, um, Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> Forrest Gump. Go! What are you- <laughs> it's just like, man, that's... that's- that's kind of a tough thing to do. Well, you can mostly blame Scott for that. I mean, Scott curated our list for the Gateway to Anime show, which was literally the first anime that I watched a lot of, and that was Cowboy Bebop, Princess Mononoke, and Full Metal Alchemist. Good start. Season. Yeah, really we good didn't start. Watch Princess Mononoke for that? Didn't we watch Princess Mononoke for that? No. There was a Studio Ghibli movie. 
Yeah, we don't. You didn't watch Princess Mononoke for it, but Scott and I did. We talked about it. Okay, I don't know how I didn't watch it. Yeah, you was just, it not available on something, or you didn't have access to it? I guess. Uh, I don't know if we did at a time of the year when you were just really busy and didn't get to it. Well, because I yeah, because I did the other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, HBO carries all of it. So yeah, I have there. access to it now. Yeah. But yeah, so I haven't seen Princess Mononoke as we just discussed. Ooh. Um, but out of those other ones, I'd say it's better than Dragon's Dogma, but nowhere close to the others. Um, and let's go back to Dragon's Dogma for a second. Like, that just shouldn't have been released, right? Because, like, there's the wonky animation where, like, it completely switched art styles in the middle of it. Like, I think uh, the monsters look really terrible. <laughs> and, like, well, and it was interesting, but... It at least had a through line that... It did. ...was better than the Castlevania main... But, uh, not Castlevania, uh, sorry, the Devil the May Cry main storyline. But it kind of, like, went off the rails... In the second half, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and it didn't stay very true to the source material. It was also incredibly boring uh, at times, Um, which is ironic that we're talking about Dragon's Dogma and uh, Devil May Cry together. But um, um, so, do you want these four plus hours of your life back, Burns, or what? No, I mean, I think it was. I think I'm glad that I watched it. I. I didn't focus on, like, if I started to get bored, I'd multitask and check back in and out with it as time went on. Then there's the episodes that I liked that grabbed me, and so, like, I think that was worth, I think that was worth it. Um, I do need to correct you a little bit. The Castlevania show is not an anime. Which you corrected me on the Castlevania yeah. show. It is an animated series, <laughs> because an anime to be an anime has to be made in Japan. Um, and uh, the Castlevania show, even though it's done in an anime style, is not made in Japan. And it, it's hard too because with Devil May Cry is is with for the shortcomings of what the anime series is to put it up against Castlevania was tough because Castlevania showed when you really do love your source material, mm-hmm. you can really do some really neat things. And it just I don't feel like this was crafted with the same kind of affection for the source material as Castlevania was. Yeah. Well, and I think there's more source material now um, to go off of. I'm really excited for the animated series of Devil May Cry that the producer of the Castlevania animated series is making that's supposed oh, to come out this year. I'd watch on that. Netflix. So that's I'm really excited for when that comes out to see what that's going to be like and to what extent, like where it starts, if it starts similar to Castlevania where it's like we're going all the way back to kind of the beginning and trying to tell this whole story from start to finish. Um you know, it focuses on Dante, but are there other characters that it doesn't have? Does it create characters specific for um, the animated series? I'm really intrigued to see what they do that how, with that and how they approach it. When did 3 and 4 come out? Because this this anime series is 2007. It came out after 3. Okay, so there's still a, there's a, there's a tremendous... So Nero's not even a part yep. of this universe. Virgil's not even a part of this universe. Yep. Was Virgil in 3 or not? Virgil's in... I mean, Virgil's in 1. Technically, and he's, he's in he's, 3. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is in 3. Virgil's a main focus of 3. Okay. Yeah. So there was um, just a lot that they hadn't got a chance. Yeah, because they didn't even them. touch on Virgil in the in the animated mm-hmm. series, which makes sense if the timeline where it kind of falls in the timeline of being after kind of one and two, um, you know, Virgil didn't really come back from hell yet at this point. So, is there anyone that in your heart of hearts you would recommend the Devil May Cry animated series to? Uh, I mean, if you're, if, I, I think if you're a hardcore fan of Devil May Cry, it's worth a watch. Um, I did enjoy like some of the um, references to the anime that Devil May Cry Five made. So um, you know Morrison, even though he looked completely different, 
is a character in Devil May Cry 5. I think that's the first video game, unless he's in 4, the part of 4 that I didn't finish. Um, I think 5 is the only game that he's in, um, but he's like a supporting character in the anime. Um, and then Patty, uh, like Dante references avoiding Patty's birthday party in Devil May Cry 5 in one of his first scenes, which I think is funny also. So Yeah, that's a good tie-in. Brian, is there anyone that you would recommend DMC anime to? I mean, unless you've got a shirtless Dante tattooed on your body, I'm not <laughs> I'm not really going to push that for a lot of folks. I, it just, it was, it was okay, and I think with how much good material there is out there to watch if you're looking for it, um, I just... I think that you'd be better off using that that time served watching something else. The fact that you have not seen uh, Joe, you've not seen Princess Mononoke, like that's crazy to me. I watched that in theaters when I was in ninth grade. I was sitting. I don't know. Have I ever told this story on the show? I'm sitting. I'm, I'm in. We've done sixty nine shows. Maybe I don't maybe. know. Maybe I'm in row like three or four, and these parents are talking behind me about it's full of kids. This the theater's full of kids. And this one point, these parents are behind me, and this dad, this mom goes, like, what kind of movie is this? And the dad's like, I think it's like Mulan. And then limbs are coming off, and heads are coming off, and these kids are clearing out. And at the end of this show, this is the Crossword Cinema in St. Cloud. It is me, and I'm not kidding, like some 35-year-old guy in a trench coat and fedora. And we get done, I turn around, like, that was awesome! awesome and he's like oh my god that was so good and so i i chatted with this dude over like popcorn in the lobby as we were just going through this adventure but we there was at least a hundred people something in that theater and there was two of us by the end of the film because i think it was it was because it was one of the first animes that was being shown in theaters yeah that makes sense um, because was that, that the first time, time you kissed scott or did that come later scott i met later this oh. guy's name was craig and i do remember it was craig <laughs> love craig um, awesome but uh, that was at that time. I think that was the highest grossing movie uh, in the world. It was that's how that's how powerful that film was. So it's it's crazy. I've got a slightly more upbeat tone on the Devil May Cry animated series. I really enjoy Dante. Like I really enjoy the character of Dante, and I think that the anime captures him really well. And like I enjoy watching him do stuff like beat up demons, dodge lady and her credit, uh, <laughs> capturing ways, and like. I thought it was fun. It's a quick little thing. It's only a couple of hours. And so, like, if you really like Devil May Cry, you really like Dante, I think it's worth a watch. I, I also, I mean, I, I liked, especially, I like Lady. Um, I like Lady as a character from, like, Devil May Cry 3. And so I like that you get to see a little bit different side of her than you do kind of in that. In that, she's a little bit more lighthearted and, and, you know, gets in on a little bit of the joking back and forth with Dante. She's got an impressive scar on the back of her leg that comes from 3. It's like, oh, yep. Yeah, I they kept showing that scar, and like then I saw it on the cutscene. I went, "Oh, that's a yep. uh, interesting attention to detail." Yeah, and so and I did like Dante. Um, he, he felt like a bit a bit off compared to Devil May Cry three and four and five, which is interesting because it's the same actor that was doing all of those and this. So it was it was kind of interesting to me that he just didn't like he. He seemed like he was aloof um, in a different way than he kind of is in, like, the games, um, which I think is fine. Um, but that was, like, an interesting thing that I noticed with it anyway. But <clears throat> I liked how aloof he was. Devil May Cry, the animated series. <clears throat> For our final topic, we're going to discuss Devil May Cry 
5, released in 2019. The game follows Nero, V, and Dante as they work to stop a giant demon from destroying humankind. Uh, this game is three years old. We are going to talk about spoilers, so uh, we'll try to give a spoiler alert before we get into anything too story-heavy. The game is published by Capcom, directed by Hideaki Itsuno. Hideaki. Hideaki. Yeah, typo there. Oh, awesome. Hideaki Itsuno. He has 16 directing credits. He has done Devil May Cry's 2 through 5 and Dragon's Dogma. The voice talent includes Ruben Langdon reprising his role as Dante. Johnny Young Bosch as Nero. He has 435 wow. acting credits. He's mm-hmm. done 285 episodes of Bleach, 12 episodes of Trigun Stampede, and the original Trigun, 26 episodes. Uh, he did Star Wars, The Old Republic, some voices, he, and he was the Black Mighty Morphin Power Ranger in 1995. Is that the original one? Was it Zack? I think so. I don't know. That is crazy. I was never a Power Ranger guy, but I saw a couple Power Ranger connections here, and knowing our audience, wow. I thought that I'd call that out. Once you clear 400 acting credits, I think you made it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's his voice is super well-known in, like, anime for sure, because he's, wow. he's been the voice of a lot of popular characters. Okay. And someone who's done less popular characters, Brian Hanford played V. <laughs> he's got, <coughs> excuse me, 39 acting credits, lots of unnamed roles. Faye Kingsley played Nico, 33 acting credits, including Far Cry's 3 and 6. She was in Mirror's Edge and the movie In Time with JT. Dan Southworth played Virgil. I've seen that movie. I like that movie, so suck on that, Casey. Dan Southworth played Virgil. He's got 78 credits, including 28 episodes of Power Rangers Time Force, 11 episodes of Five Virgins and Kicking It. He was in Dark Souls 2, Wolfenstein 2... And, and that's, that's it for the it. cast, right? Yep, yep, yeah, that's it. Weird page break there as I flop my paper around <laughs> impotently. <laughs> so this this probably would have been a good starting point for the overall show, but I wanted to talk about our overall experience with Devil May Cry going into the show. And my experience was absolute nil. I had never played a game. I never watched anything. Like, I was aware of it. I knew that Devil May Cry was a kind of a trailblazer. But essentially, this episode started as finding a board game deal it's like oh <laughs> the devil may cry board game is on sale super cheap it's like we could build a show around that and so i bought the game i'm like all right well we'll figure this out and then brian you suggested playing five which is hard for me to do it's hard for me to jump ahead in the series like i want to play yeah. from the beginning through but like you yeah. said five was the best combat in the series so we did that we found the animated series and now and now here we are brian where did you come in with devil may cry one uh which is in the playstation 2 so uh, a friend of ours named dylan curto uh he was a, a buddy of mine when we were in the dorms and he played through one and I, I i played through the game with him and so that was kind of my start i didn't play two three or four and the only reason i jumped into five was we had known that this combo mechanic and system the guy that had created most of this stuff was actually heavily uh he was brought on to help with final fantasy 16's combo systems Mm -hmm. so not understanding how far this madman has gone down the rabbit hole i'm like oh cool i'm sure it'll be kind of similar to final fantasy 16 no it's not (laughs) <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> you can see some, You can definitely. You can, you can see, see some the threads. Yeah. You can see the threads. But like this this is the closest thing I've played to an action game that is almost like a fighting game. It was yeah. it was fun. It's frustrating at times. We'll get into that, but it it was I understand I I totally get now why there is such like a froth at the mouth fan base for this thing. So, Brian just stumbled across a secret mission. Do you guys want to take the secret mission? Yes. 
All right. So I am going to list off <laughs> 10 game series. And what I want you to do is try to tell me which one of these series, sort of like in a um, Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, which one of these series does not have a connection to Devil May Cry? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. So here they go. Bayonetta. These are in alphabetical order. I have to assume Bayonetta. Bayonetta, (laughs) Dead Rising, Final Fantasy, Monster Hunter, Okami, Onimusha, Power Stone, Resident Evil, Street Fighter, and Beautiful Joe. Shoot, I was really hoping some of those weren't Capcom, which would make this a lot easier, but you did not. There's some that there's some that aren't Capcom. I suppose Monster Hunter's not, right? No, it's no Monster, Monster Hunter's, Hunter's Capcom. Capcom. Bayonetta's Capcom? Nope. Bayonetta's not. I'm going to say Bayonetta because it's the closest to this style of game. So I, it feels like a uh, Dark Souls to a Dark Souls imitator comparison. So I'm my guess is Bayonetta. Can I get that list one more yeah. time quickly? Bayonetta, Dead Rising, Final Fantasy... Monster Hunter, Okami, Onimusha, Power Stone, Resident Evil, Street Fighter, and Beautiful Joe. I'm going to go, if Street Fighter counts, because there's the Marvel vs. Capcom connection there. It's also a Capcom title. Um, Beautiful Joe very Mm -hmm. much is a combo-based thing. I'm going to go Monster Hunter, even though that's probably not right, but that'll be my guess. All right. Neither of you got it right. I'll Ah. give you one more attempt. So Bayonetta, the creator of the series, uh, I can't remember, Kamiya is the last name. I can't remember. It might be Hideki Kamiya too. Um, So he had directed Resident Evil 2. And then he started working on what was going to be Resident Evil 4. And as they got deeper and deeper down, it didn't feel like a Resident Evil game. And that's what became Devil May Cry. That's so funny because playing Mm -hmm. the original Devil May Cry, I'm like, oh my God, this is so Resident Evil. Like Capcom just has this big facility and I'm locked in it and like moving around the rooms feels just like the mansion. It's like, oh. Yeah, because it didn't feel like survival horror. And so then he created Devil May Cry. Eventually, he went on to also create Bayonetta down the line. Which makes Bayonetta's combo <laughs> systems makes complete sense based on that. Yep. That's I knew I figured Bayonetta may, uh, Beautiful Joe though, maybe uh, Which so, one did you, which one did you say? My guess was Monster Hunter, my yep. backup guess would be Okami. So, it's an O, it's an O who directed 2 through 5 uh helped out with Monster Hunter World. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then used a lot of the things that he learned on that to help inform some decisions they made on Devil May Cry 5. Okay. What about... Okay. So then my... What's your second guess? Also, I'll copy. Okay. okay. I'll take Beautiful Joe. Also, don't swear. All right. Um... So, similarly, Okami and Beautiful Joe Dang were it. both <laughs> created and directed by Kamiya, who, who uh, created the original Devil, Devil uh. May Cry. Um, so, going down the same line, Itsuno... Uh, was originally part of the Street Fighter team and worked on a lot of fighting games, which informed a lot of the combat decisions that they made yep. in 2 and especially 3 and beyond. Because um, he came on partway through 2 to try to salvage the game because it was falling apart because the director, who they never named, um, who it was publicly, um, just wasn't doing a good job. So he came in to replace. It's um, crazy they kept that name private, too. Like, yep. well, American companies are like, this guy's the problem. Blame <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the interesting thing about that um, is that he was, at that point, starting to work on the concept phase of the game that he always wanted to make, 
which would eventually Mario Kart? be Dragon's Dogma. Yes! Um, so, yeah. Uh, so Also, Dragon's Dogma was awesome. Um, Onimusha was the one that had the weakest tie, but the executive producer of Devil May Cry 2 uh, was the creator of Onimusha. I figured just the um, theme of it seemed the close enough. Samurai, yeah. orbs, all that stuff. Uh, Itsuno also was a co-director on Power Stone and directed Power Stone 2. Okay. Um, Final Fantasy, you mentioned the combat director for Devil May yep. Cry 5, which I didn't write down. Uh, didn't go over there. Uh, so the correct answer is actually Dead Rising. Huh. Ah. There is not a key connection between the Dead Rising team and the Devil May Cry series. So That's maybe the one that makes the most sense, too, because there also isn't anything that it would even be comparable to a combo mechanic either. Yeah. There really isn't. It's much That's much more like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And that came from the creator of, like, a lot of the Mega Man games. Yeah. It was the creator of... Uh, uh, Dead Rising. So, but that is also a Capcom game. So that's why I was hoping that that would steer you away from it. But I, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Interesting. To... Interesting aside. Loved your segue, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I played the original Devil May Cry on PlayStation Two way back when. I rented it from Blockbuster or Pizza Vid or one of those places, um, and I remember enjoying how bamba- bombastic it was. But um, I think the difficulty. I I remember getting to. The fight where you fight Shadow. Well, he's not called Shadow in that. But I remember getting to that room and fighting that. I don't remember much more than that. So that's probably about as far as I made it. Um, yeah, that's as far as I made it. Like, it, I've, I had grand ambitions. Like, these games are relatively short. I'm like, I'm going to play all of Devil May Cry for this show. Uh-huh. And then I started playing one. I'm like, oh, I am not going to do that. <laughs> Good, we settle on five. I'll play the fancy new one. But uh, I went back to one recently, just a couple days ago, and I finally got into the groove. I'm like, oh, all right. I see how this works. All right. Get through this boss fight. Get to this next thing. All right. I need some yellow orbs. Like, I I need to grind out some of these low-level enemies. And so I'm doing that. Like, I'm having fun. I stumble into a boss fight. I die. I'm out of yellow orbs. It's like, oh, well, that sucks. But okay, at least I know where the boss is now. I can avoid that, and I can try to buy some yellow orbs before I go in there. And so I'm grinding out, and I'm just about ready to go back to the boss, and then I fall through the floor. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I'm just not grinding through these hallways a third time right now. So uh, I have grand ambitions to go back to play more of the old games, but like, what is your threshold on old games suck? What is what is the the distance in time required, or is it just Tom's perception of the space time continuum? Like, <laughs> uh, probably Tom's perception, okay. but like Devil May Cry is not fun today. DMs the original DMC for all that it has set up, Doesn't leading well. up to five, yeah. it's terrible to play. It is yeah. an excruciating experience. But I did find some joy in the moment to moment gameplay, okay. like so. Because I love DMC and now I love the brand, I am going to try to slog through it as like a test of my own fortitude. It's like I hate doing this, but for some reason I'm going to do it anyways to prove to myself that I can. I love how you came in blind, and I love how you came in and you found something that you love. I think that is such a cool thing. That's why I love so much when you guys are always playing. Um, well, now it's going to be what is it? The the video game club. Game, game club. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you go in, you try something new, and you can fall in love with it. You can also go sideways, where it's mm-hmm. a, basically the game is a giant cutscene, and you play for 20 minutes, and you want to die, and then you stop <laughs> doing it. That's also an outcome. But I like. Well, that outcome. wasn't Game Club. That was a main episode with a thing that you consume, agreed to consume for the show. So, a yeah. little, little yeah. bit different. Yeah, it was like consuming poison. Yeah, Thanks. no <laughs> no more taste breakers for Brian. Got it. Uh, next time we have Brian on, we'll talk about uh, Smash Brothers. <laughs> And Legend of Zelda. So otherwise, I'd also played a bit of DMC when it first came out on PlayStation 3, um, which that was a series I was going to put in there was Hellblade, because Ninja Theory, who created DMC, 
made the Hellblade series, are famous for making Hellblade now. Um, I played the first couple missions of DMC5 when the PlayStation 5 came out, but I fell off of it um, pretty quickly. Um, and so, yeah, that's like kind of my history. A little bit of off and on stuff. Sporadic pieces over time, but not a lot of experience. Did you get through it. two? Because two is like the everything I've read, two is the black sheep. Two is two, two they were worried was actually going to kill the series so, for a hot second. For, for this, I, I played through about a third of the first game. Um, I did not play two. Um, and then I did not play three. I watched through all the cutscenes for one through three. I've played through two thirds of four. Um, and then at that point I was just like, okay, if I keep messing around with this for much longer, I'm not going to finish five. Um, so yeah, so I played through two thirds of four and then a third of one for this. So Burnsy, knowing how you like to consume games, you like to touch everything, talk to everyone, get every line of dialogue, every, how much did it kill you to, uh, prep for the show and to just dabble a little bit with all these different DMC games? Um, so like once I played Devil May Cry one and I was just like, this is just going to be too much of a pain to try to play through this at that point i kind of was like okay i'm just gonna write off the first three and it was like what five or six hours to watch through the videos of all those so i just throw on throw them on and watch them for a while then do something else or whatever kind of as time went on so that gave me at least the background of what's going on story-wise which was the main reason why i wanted to experience any of those games anyway um knowing that four was more modern um i wanted to play that and so that's the kind of the one i really jumped into um and i actually really enjoyed it it's just it was getting to the point where i got into a boss fight and i was struggling with it and it was just going to take it was just going to take too much time to finally beat it and try to see the game through and then if i did that i probably wouldn't finish five so i wanted to switch to five at that point but it wasn't it wasn't too bad um because i I got the gist of everything i wanted to get out of it once i realized that it wasn't going to be feasible to try to play through everything and i've got a wonky like roadmap now for dmc and like I am somebody who likes to read something from start to finish. I do not like uh, non-sequential storytelling. I hate non-sequential storytelling with a burning, fiery passion. Mm-hmm. But I beat five. Next, I'm going to play four. Then I'm going to go back and try to slog through one. If I can do that, I'm going to try to get through two and three. But like four being modern and with characters that I enjoy, I think yeah. that's the next stop on Tom the DMC tour. dyslexic gaming. <laughs> two, <laughs> two is the biggest departure in the series. So there's a lot of things that like went into two. So... The reason why Kamiya, who created the series, didn't have anything to do with Devil May, Devil May Cry 2 was that at that point, Capcom didn't want directors to be tied to franchises because they didn't want, if that director left, that franchise to die. Um, and so then that's why Shinji Mikami made Resident Evil 1, and then they had Kamiya do Resident Evil 2 because they didn't want it just to be Mikami doing that doing that series and so then they went with this other person the other thing they did with the switch between devil may cry one and two is they had a different development team do two so the development team that did devil may cry two was more from like the arcade side of capcom yeah so they had a lot more experience making arcade games and so that along with kind of non-existent leadership in the director role is what kind of had everything sort of like kind of grind to this weird halt. Um, Dante is very different in Devil May Cry 2 because the lead producer on, or one of the producers on Devil May Cry 2 didn't like his cocky 
sort of brash nature and wanted him to be more subdued. And so that's why you don't really get much character from any of the actual characters you play as. Um, so two is like a very weird sidestep. And then three is a prequel to everything. Um, and that like gives you more information about Virgil. It introduces Lady um, and gives you a lot more insight into Dante um, and kind of how he developed his powers and his sort of feud with Virgil. Um, I would say if people are looking to try to play some of the series before they play five, you I'd could, say just don't. You could just start with five. I think it is a good entry point to the series. If you wanted a little bit more, I think four is a good entry point because that's the introduction of Nero. And so you at least get the base of that one character um, and then get a lot of the other pieces filled in throughout four and five. Um, about like a lot of the other things that are happening in there. Um, and, and four from a gameplay experience is very similar to five. Five is much better and well done and more and polished from what I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's still a lot of it that's there. It doesn't feel quite as, as janky. Like as the person that would fight against you time and time again for your old games is old kind of mentality. Um, like I would agree that one is just really hard to go back to. Yeah. It's rough. Well, let's focus our attention yes. on DMC5 now. Devil May Cry is a stylish action game where you try to string together combos to defeat groups of enemies with as much style as possible. Brian, how did the combat grab you, and how long did it take you to get your head wrapped around the uh, combo-based action? It definitely took a little bit. This is this is probably the most technical action game that I have played. So, like, I'm used to being technical with games that I play that are, like, fighting games, right? You have uh, controller notation, things like that you have to be mindful of, frame data, iframes, that kind of stuff. This game actually has a lot of that to it. And the part that was also interesting, it has directional <coughs> inputs that affect special moves, which is kind of wild when you're running around in a three-dimensional world. Mm -hmm. Very different than Street Fighter when you're playing in a 2D plane. That is not the case here. So it was... It, it was very deep uh, how mechanics can interact with each other and how basically – I watched a couple of videos of very, very high-end players. And it is insane that the when they're attacking something, it never touches the ground. Mm -hmm. they are, they're juggling something for minutes on end and they're going through – all of these different kinds of styles and forms. And I had, I had played – I had started playing this when I had COVID, okay? I had played for like two days. Um, at, I had then gone back to work. So I had three days of work, four days of work, came back to play it. I I could barely figure out how to get going again because it was just like, holy mother, this thing is deep. And it, yeah. it definitely took multiple hours to kind of get the feel for it back and then going forward from there. So there's a lot more practice. There's a lot more memorization than I think that goes into this than other games. But once you get the feel of it, and it's the power chip, right? You, this is God tier. You yeah. are absolutely savaging things, and there's nothing that they can do about it, which is really fun. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which is like the hardest thing I think to get used to is the moves in relation to the enemy that you're hitting. And like, so there's like a lot of your actions are going to be forward or backward, you know, similar to fighting games where it's mm -hmm. towards the enemy or away from the enemy. But since you're always kind of shifting around, that's like something that you have to get your head around is this is a way when I'm on this position yep. and then I rotate it a little bit. So away is switch. so it takes yep. a while to sort of root your head around that and rhythm. 
and yeah, and yeah, a lot of rhythm. that too. Because because you got to keep pressing the attack, and in order to time things, because some of the other like especially with Nero's attacks, um, I'm pretty sure Dante is like that too. Is different combos will have like pauses in them. Press, press, pause. Press, press, press. Yes, and yep. you're like what? <laughs> yeah, or or press, press, and then like button mash basically yeah. or something like that. There's there's a few of those that and and so that takes a while to try to figure out how to do that too. But then it's also like you said that next level of if I do this combo into this combo into this move like the enemy really can't do anything about it and that's a lot of where like the game really starts to shine um which i think is which i think is really cool and that's always been a hallmark of the series but it feels like the best from what i've played in 5 um i'm sure people that are like huge fans of the series are probably going to have like their well three actually is gonna have the most well, you know and, yeah. you know and, and you know and not to make fun because it's like you know i've only played a limited amount of the games um in this but um but yeah i i, I really like that aspect of it and the fact that in five it doesn't penalize you it allows you i feel like it allows you to it allows you to sort of feel a lot of that out more easily than like especially one you're so limited on gold orbs that it's like i failed this mission i failed i had to revive three times now i'm just out of gold orbs and i either have to grind up fifty thousand red orbs to buy another one oh gross or yeah so it's just like it, yeah it's so cost prohibitive so then it gets to the point where it's like okay i gotta beat this mission in one run otherwise i gotta restart from the beginning of it um you know and i, th- I feel like each game kind of progressively gets a little bit more um, it gets better in that respect. Uh, but five, it feels like with you getting gold orbs as a login bonus. Oh my god, and a lot of them. Yeah. I logged in one day and it gave me ten. Well, and I was like, "What happened?" You know what that was from? Was it from the def- we bought the definitive edition or something? No. So if if when you're playing, have you did you notice that when you're playing, it'll have player names pop up on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the pseudo multiplayer aspect of this game is that when you're playing through it, if other people are playing through as the other characters that are in that mission, it'll actually have them playing in your session. And then at the end of their, when they finish the mission, they can give you, they can say you're stylish or not. Yeah, because they'll ask you at the end. Yep, and if you say they're stylish, they get gold orbs for that the next time they log in. If If they say you're stylish, you get gold orbs the next time you log in. And so that's like a really interesting mechanic that they added for this game um to sort of incentivize that best name i came across thick mom snaps (laughs) that guy was stylish as (laughs) (laughs) uh so i thought that was cool because for so much of the game i kept wondering why it kept saying starring the the dmc crew and i was just like why does it keep saying that is there is there like a bug or something i didn't know that then i finally hit a mission where it was another character i could kind of tell that it was somebody else because they were spamming like the same attack (laughs) over and over and over again and i was just like oh okay that's neat like that's pretty cool um so it's like the invasion mechanic i feel like from dark souls but it's not friendly it's yeah it's it's, yeah. it's 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 more it's more helpful more neighborly um, which i thought was interesting <clears throat> you guys both touched on how deep and nuanced the combat is uh i am not going to make any pretensions here i sucked at this game <laughs> and like button mash to begin yeah you don't know what to do i button mashed a lot and like i found a couple of key moves that would help me kill the enemies and progress the story and that is what i did the entire game and i think that that is awesome that i was able to enjoy the story of this game without being bogged down by like 
the technical side of the fighting aspects. Yeah, did you get any S ranks? Uh, with B, I got a lot. Nice. With Nero and Dante, very, very few. Yeah, they really want you to be doing a lot of variation because most of the characters yeah. have multiple styles. They want you moving through styles often. That seems to be the case. Which is interesting, but a lot of those skills are behind... Uh, skill wall you have to pay to upgrade your arsenal and so like i decided early on that i like v the most i'm gonna invest in v's skills and so like with nero and with dante and maybe that's why i suck so much with nero but like i just didn't buy any more skills for them because it's like well uh you know hopefully i'll find a way to grind out some red orbs and then i can upgrade their stuff but like i have one character that i like so i'm gonna invest in all his stuff and then see what happens i feel like the second playthrough they they award you with a insane amount of red orbs after the ending of every chapter i feel like that currency level should have been what it was on playthrough one because i feel like we would play through you know a chapter you finish it and it was like oh congratulations you get fifteen thousand orbs well that maybe buys you a move maybe a move and a half it's just like i would like to unlock more of this stuff and it wasn't until i was playing through as virgil where i was like okay finally i'm getting enough orbs to really unlock some stuff here well because that's all tied to so the red orbs that you get for defeating an enemy is all based around Style, right? how stylish yeah. you were yeah. to finish that combat. At the, at the end of the mission, you get more red orbs the better you do at your total style ranking, as well as like your style in all of those fights. Mm-hmm. And so and they'll show you, right? They're yeah, like bop, bop, bop. your second playthrough, you probably got more red orbs. And granted, if you were playing, were you playing on a different difficulty level too? I was playing on like Sparta. The Sparta. Yep. Yeah. So I'm guessing at that level, Tough difficulty too. level, they probably bump it up as well. I would not recommend Son of Sparta for if you are starting this game. Start off as I think the first one is human is the lowest level of difficulty. Start with human. I I, I would just say devil. I did devil hunt and I was fine. I think you did Devil Hunter also, right? Was that the, no, the second one is Devil Hunter, yes. right? That's what I started Human at. is the first one. And that was yeah. still a challenge at times. Yeah. yeah, I also did Devil Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, I think, that, I think that that is a good difficulty level for it. But I think one of the things that I think makes Devil May Cry 5 a standout in the series is for that specific reason, Tom, that... You can button mash your way through. You can pick up some combos and stuff like that. But without really trying to pick up a lot of the nuances of the combat system, you can still get through the game. You can successfully get through it. You still get enough red orbs that you feel like you can purchase meaningful updates for the characters that you want to do it with. Um, But there's so much more to the game that incentivizes you if you really dig into it. Like, if you start trying to get, like, the double and triple S ranks... It'll reward you. ...and stuff like that, you get rewarded insanely. And that's what you need to do in order... Or fighting through on, like, Son of Sparta or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to do in order to get, like, the Red Orbs to fully unlock everything for all your characters, which are, you know, some of the achievements or trophies. um, There's a three million Red Orb item for each of the characters. Like, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Can we can we talk about the lock on system? Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. So there's all this nuance to the combat, and the way that you direct these attacks is you have to hold down R one to lock on. To Always. Yeah. Always and forever. Well, so you can do attacks without having R one selected. It's just gonna just be like you could take a poop without going way, to the bathroom. It's mm-hmm. just gonna be whichever way you're facing that you're doing the attacks, and it's not gonna actually trigger any of your combos unless you're holding down that actual target. Um and combo button basically. Unless you're playing with, if you beat the game, you get to play the game as Virgil. Virgil is like playing on easy mode. It's God mode. It's your power. It's your your your. <laughs> 
power mode. But like when he throws what's called his mirage swords, or they're like these light daggers, when he connects them to an enemy, he will lock onto that enemy without you holding the lock on button, which does create a little bit kind of a different feel to it. Um, but I also struggled, and we had talked about this off mm-hmm. mic. You are supposed to be able to hit L3, and it's supposed to then cycle through the enemies. But I swear to you, I am holding R1. I'm locked out of the enemy. I'm hitting L3. It's not changing to other enemies. And so, like, like Burns and I were talking about, basically, okay, we're going to unlock. We're going to try to line the camera up with one of the eight guys specifically in front of me I want to get. And I'm just going to keep tapping R1 until it hopefully locks onto that dude, and I'm going to start fighting. <clears throat> it was a, It was... That was probably the biggest challenge of the game was just fighting the camera system. Well, it's fascinating that that's an issue because there's any number of like Souls-like games where you lock on and then you just click the stick or you move the stick in the direction Simple. of the next person. Yeah, it seems like that shouldn't have been a technical hurdle that was insurmountable. Yeah, and I wonder if just maybe remapping it to something different or if it's like maybe there's just some other nuance to it that we just didn't grasp. Out, yeah. But that was definitely a weakness. I especially found it when playing as V because that was the time when I felt like it was so much more important that I was locking on to the right thing. Um, Interesting. I had less trouble with it with V because I was further away from the action. Like I generally had the whole battlefield in my plane of vision. And like, if you want to attack one specific enemy and there's like five in front of you, how do you make sure you got the right one? And how many times does it, you let go of the R1 button and you press it back down and it catches someone else. And then shadow's just attacking something else as opposed to the like one thing that has like one third health left. I guess I didn't sweat it. I'd lock onto the first thing, kill it, finish it. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Cause I think that like we talked about last night, the Nidhogg fight was the one that was the most troublesome for me because you know, there's these Hydra heads that keep popping up and you're switching between you like, you're trying to knock out, and knock each one of them out as much as you can. And then some will get in front of you. And I don't know, that was the one that I felt like I had the most difficulty trying to target what I wanted to target effectively as V. I actually really enjoyed that fight with V. Did you guys were you mostly stationary with it? Because like I was constantly moving side to side and I don't know if that helped me line up my lock on attack betters. So, I, I mean, I was moving from side to side, but it would become most difficult when then Nidhogg would show back up and get in the way sometimes um and the heads will move a lot um and so yeah and maybe it's just i just needed to keep holding down r1 like constantly but there would be like once you'd finish off one and you'd see one has a little bit less health i don't know that was where i really struggled with it i still enjoyed the fight i liked that fight a lot um it's just that was i i think i ran into the issue more (laughs) with v because as like dante or nero it's really just like, okay, well, whoever I locked onto, I can just hit with a sword, and I usually have attacks that'll hit multiple things if they're close. So it's like, you know, close enough counts in hand grenades and attacking with Nero and Dante, apparently, in horseshoes. So I had more struggles with that boss fight playing as Virgil than I did as V. Because what would happen was I'd lock on with Virgil to destroy one of the heads, and then one of the other heads would quick come in the way, and then it would lock onto that, and now I'm flying off chasing something in the wrong direction i'm trying to unlock from that get back to the thing that's stunned but now it's unstunned Mm -hmm. um that was the only fight that i had to use a gold orb on as outside of fighting dante at the end of the game with virgil and that's overpowered mode and i i still battled it but it was more to the camera than it was to the actual difficulty of the game so you're saying hate of this game with the burning fiery passion (laughs) i would not go that far I, i definitely 
the more you play this game, the more the game rewards you for sure. And the more you're willing to really learn the mechanics. Like That's why I deeply love friend of the show, Casey. Casey is me. You always make fun of like how he studies games. That is 100% how I work. If I'm going to play something, I want to be as good as I can at it. I will watch tutorials. I will spend time learning it thoroughly so that when I play, I am efficient. I'm not going into this thing going to slog my way through and hopefully I learn something. I can't button mash through a game because it would bother me knowing that I'm not doing this in an optimal fashion. Do you also <laughs> hold on to a controller like this? Claw? Is that what he plays yeah. as? He plays as Claw? That's like competitive COD players. That's a very interesting <laughs> approach though. Uh, no, I don't do that. Casey, I tried to defend you, but you're a freak. <laughs> <laughs> Knew we could bring him back around. Speaking of freaks, there are four main playable characters in DMC5. Dante, Nero, V, and Virgil. Brian, which characters stood out to you? Um, I mean, all of them were fun, and they they the game is really good about switching you between them because it is a change in pace. Nero, yes, he's got a sword and a gun, but Nero also controls very, very differently than Dante does, which is extremely different than what V does, which is still pretty different than what Virgil does. Um, there are some things I loved about certain characters. I don't understand why everybody hated V so much. I kind of liked the V missions. I enjoyed it. Um, I guess some people didn't want to be quite as detached from combat by being a puppeteer more than anything else. Um, the only fight that I had with Nero is he has a prosthetic arm that he uses with different abilities, and there's a lot of them. And to use the next arm, you have to destroy the arm that you're currently using. I really wish there was a system where I could cycle through them, but the game doesn't want me to do it. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to V for a second, because V was my favorite, both in terms of narrative and in playstyle. It's interesting to me that everyone hated it, but I... I can see it. If you have an affinity for Nero or an affinity for Dante and you want to be up close into the action, I was uninhibited by any mm -hmm. like previous knowledge of the series. And so I liked... It is really different. <clears throat> v is extremely different than everybody else. So I understand the yeah. disconnect there. Because it's, it's really, really alters how you play. And I don't know if he was like widely hated. I think there were some people that didn't really jive with it. But I know from like a critical perspective, a lot of people thought it was awesome because it was such a breath of fresh air and a different way to experience the game. Well, he's a very different character from what you'd expect in a stylish action fighting game. Like, he's not a physically imposing character in any way. He's a very frail person that just has these demons to do his bidding. And uh, I like... It's essentially Chris Angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah Chris Angel. Tom loves an edgelord. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, you should see my tattoo. So, but I also like being further back from the action and like being able to see the full like scale of the battlefield so i i really enjoyed every aspect of v because a lot of those attack too particularly when you bring in nightmare they're like a they're like a visual spectacle again oh, yeah. like this gigantic lumbering black mass comes out and starts <laughs> ripping things up and you just stand back and clap it's great i tore down a building with them it was awesome <laughs> i like the nightmare mechanic a lot too he's uh he's your devil trigger as v and like you hit l1 when your devil trigger gauge is beyond three bars and like he just comes in and messes stuff up for a while it's awesome Burnsy, Nero was your favorite character. Uh, you had played four leading up to this. How well did that transition or that previous experience with Nero help you in DMC5? Yeah, I mean, I think that made a big difference because, you know, playing through the, what, 12 or 13 missions in four with Nero right before jumping into five, uh, A, there was like, I kind of knew these are like the skills I like to use. So then when it came to buying skills for Nero... It was just like, oh, okay, I'll take this, 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 and this. I know these are the things I'm going to use a lot. So it was like I had that as a start 
from the get go. Did it him. feel the same? Those things. Oh yes. compared to the last game, thousand percent. Gotcha. Yeah. No. And, like Nero plays. Uh, I would say seventy five percent similar to how he plays in the in Devil May Cry Four. Like, I, I don't think there there. I don't think there's any new like attacks that he has with his with the Red Queen his sword. I don't think there's any new attacks that he has with that. It's all like the same type of thing, the same combos cool. and stuff like that. There might be one or two added ones um, that I might not have unlocked, but otherwise it's a lot the same the same type of thing. Um, but then what's different is going to be in Devil May Cry 4, um, he just has sort of his... Um, he just with his with his arm he has like buster mechanics that he does, um, and so basically what that ends up being is that he can use that to either grapple towards big enemies or pull small enemies towards him. Um, uses that then for traversal through the environment, but then also it's like a sort of big attack that he like slams things around or does a <laughs> wrestling move on something like that. Um, in this game, it's the arms like you were talking about. Each one of those then are going to have different things that you do when you hit the circle button, which is what it was attached to. What was the, um, what was the point of the pasta arm? I don't think I ever used it. I don't know if I used it either. Um, Tom? Did you use the pasta arm, Tom? Here's how my experience with all the arms went, and this is probably why I struggled so much with Nero. When you're playing as Dante, you hit L1 for your devil trigger, and like you go into oh, uh, like Gundam yes. mode, right? Mm-hmm. You're playing as V, you fill up your de- devil gauge, and you hit L1, and you summon um, Nightmare. You summon your big demon, he comes in and he wrecks stuff. You're playing as Nero, you get into trouble, you hit L1, yep. and his freaking arm explodes. It blows yeah. off. It's like, oh good, well, I hope that wasn't useful because now it's gone forever. Good, I escaped from this group of enemies and like yep. oh okay well action gets hairy oh god devil trigger oh i broke my arm again yep. and there's that boss fight that it makes you use your arms like yep. it'll grab you and then you have to blow up your arm like well i hope i didn't wasn't attached <laughs> to that because the game forces you to have to do that yeah not being able to cycle through them like i never knew if i had the right tool for the oh, job yep. i forgot that circle is how you actually used it because i think if you're holding down lock on and use circle that's how you do the uh grapple move right yes. right yep yeah, so so you have to you have to not be using R one to use the circle. Thing. And I was by that yeah. point just trained. You're holding down R one forever. My forearm is screaming. I'm like yeah. trying to massage it and just trying to get through one more mission. Tetney's yeah. kicked in. He can't even release it if he wants to. <laughs> that was uh, that was something I guess that I got used to from the first game. So that also helped with that. Um, um, because yeah, that is one thing that's different from like everything else. Um, but. When I did play through the Bloody Palace as Nero, I forgot to mention that when we were talking about that. That is legit the reason why I didn't make it through that next band of of floors. Because I kept trying to trigger his devil trigger... And I went through all my arms, Boom. and then I went to use my arm. I was like, "Well, I don't have an arm at all." Anymore. <laughs> Shoot! I, uh, so that was that was that was uh, that was tricky. I um, mean. Doesn't it seem like that would have been easily alleviated by making the functional purpose of the arm L1 and the escape mechanic circle? Like, that would have yes. meshed his playstyle with the other characters Probably. and made it far less frustrating for me. And it's... It, keep in mind, too, as we there are some complaints that we have with this. 
largely the, the stuff that we have the, the biggest difficulty is there is so much happening on the screen at once sometimes it is difficult to stop and think one of the one yeah. of the things i never thought i would like about this game was uh with dante dante's got four different styles that he can fight with his guns his swords there's a defense mode and then what was the other one trickster which is more like traversal stuff yeah he's able to dodge around and move around uh, a lot. <laughs> I, I love the defensive play this is a very offensive game one of his is like you can throw up a counter move, you yep. absorb the impact, and then you could take the energy you absorbed and hit super hard with it. I used that for half the game. And it, it's just it was nice to slow <laughs> things down so you could just think sometimes. There's so much happening. It's so easy to get into button mashing because the game doesn't stop throwing waves at you. Yeah. It's just wild that way. I never used that. I, I never used it either. It, yeah, so. I yeah. didn't even know that it was a mechanic. It, it, it took me a bit to learn. It's the. It's, I think it's the Royal Guard. It's Royal Guard That's yeah. what it is. Um, but I, I really, I would have been fascinated to see if I would have started at one and gone. Well, maybe skip two and then go three and up. Yeah. The added nuance in every game. I think we really we bit off something that was really hard. Yeah. Because of how far into this thing we jumped, and I think we did okay for where we were at. But I would really like to see what would have been like if we taken this in bite-sized pieces going up, because I don't think it would have been quite as chaotic. Well, so with Dante, I think it, you would have benefited, especially playing through three and four as Dante before you played through five. Probably would have helped even me figure out how all of these different things work, because. The sort of the different stances are built off of like those were kind of originated, I believe, in three um, and then were kind of iterated on in four and that. And so uh, if I would have had more time playing as near uh, or as as Dante in those instances, it probably would have helped and it probably would have helped you mm -hmm. guys, too, because, um, yeah, that's the thing. You get him midway through the game and then you're just like, I've got all these tricks to use and I don't know how to use any of them. Well, they add a new weapon literally every yeah. Dante mission. And it's like the toolkit just grows yeah. every single time and like it is deep and nuanced and like i just did not have time to wrap my head around each it. and each one of those stances has like five or six or seven different moves you can do out of Attached it so like it, yeah. when you watch some of the high-end play they're using the entire kit mm -hmm. and i'm using like three things because i can't remember everything and it's like am i going to invest my red orbs to start unlocking those moves when like i can't even get my head wrapped around yeah. them or should i just double more into v who i'm more comfortable with yeah. so i think that's where like and I thought about doing it, but then I was just like, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. But like going into the void and like trying out a lot of the stuff I probably would have been helpful. I, I did, never yeah. did that. I should like if I go back and play through more of the game as Dante, I probably will try to do that to pick up more of like his kit. Um, I feel like I don't really need to do that with Nero because I've. I've gotten, I had a firm enough hold of that coming into the game and didn't need to worry about that. I had to do a bunch of the rhythm stuff in the void because I was struggling with the hit, hit, pause, oh, yeah. hit, hit, and it didn't give you any, I wish it would have almost showed like a metronome showing like, hey, this is yeah. the rhythm we got to do because a lot of the times, man, um, I'm, I swear I'm hitting the button. Sometimes it works. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, it was a challenge. Yeah. Well, and it's just like the fights are chaotic anyway. So it's like sometimes it's hard to, all right, was that the right animation or was that just the okay, base combo that I did? He yeah. died. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, I killed it. I guess it works, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, that that is that is also something that I ran into a little bit with that part of the mechanic. 
to summarize our thoughts on the four main playable characters and their different combat skills, there it's a very diverse cast of characters. They mm-hmm. all have different things that they do. They all feel very different, and you bounce between each of them. Generally speaking, that is a huge strength of this game. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and and they all they control so differently. And and to end my second playthrough, I played with just Virgil, and Virgil, you just feel like a god. You are teleporting all over. You're cutting things in half. He is probably the easiest to play by a considerable stretch, but you earn the right to play as him because you beat the game. The narrative focuses on Dante, Nero, and V and their attempts to thwart the demon Urizen. Brian, what stood out to you about the story? I see something interesting that you put right here in your first bullet. You watched every cutscene in this. Watched it's something, it all, baby. It's something that I give you a lot of crap about in games. I even read the Wikipedia plot to make sure that I knew what was going on. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it was... Uh, I think it probably would have helped to have much more background on understanding on four and then five, right? Because like mm-hmm. we're just catching the back end of the story. I'm I'm not so sure. Like the one thing that would have helped, the game is very jarring when it starts. Like Nero jumps into a van with Marissa Tomei and they're driving through demons and he's talking about killing her dad. It's like, oh, well, something happened there. All right, cool. Well, here's this dude. Let's go kill some demons. I think she looks much more like uh, Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live than yeah. she looks like Marissa. Tomei. Marissa Tomei looks. Yeah, I will. I would say I would agree with Joe there yeah. on that one. Well, I'm gonna have to Google who that is, and I'll get back to you on that. Um, I'll get you a picture while we keep talking. I was I was confused by some of the story because, like, so there's the Demon King that you keep fighting, right, which is part of Virgil's two halves. So the human... And don't forget about his evil tree. Yes, and his, and his and that crystal tree that of was doom. with him. Yeah. The part that I don't understand a couple of different times with the story, are you supposed to lose to him multiple times? Because, like, there's a couple of different stories. One, I fight with, I fight him with Nero, lost him with Nero, I fought him as Dante, against against him with Dante, lost him again. It's the same fight multiple times, and I can't, it never seems like you could do any damage to him, and then the, the chapter ends when you lose the fight. Mm-hmm. So are you just supposed to lose it? I like so. wh- Why, it just seems like such a weird drawn out thing, because, like, you're fighting with him, you are doing no damage. It's like, well, why don't you just show a cutscene of me being defeated so I don't have to waste my time? To frustrate you. Yeah. I guess that's the point of it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a kind of common trope in Japanese games, I think, specifically. I mean, that's why they start Dark Souls like that, right? Mega yeah. Man's that way, yep. too. Mega Man X. You, yep. you have to lose to that boss, but the guy it just goes on forever. Yeah. Um, so I guess the the story was interesting about like how this blade was able to like separate Virgil into two pieces um, and just kind of how V fit into all that. I thought that was rather interesting. Um Overall, I I didn't think that the story was was really anything that was incredible. There's some incredible set pieces. I was more impressed by the action sequences the game showed you rather than the cutscenes, um, because this game is really all about just being over the top. And I'm gonna put you on the spot here, B. But last night when we were playing the board game, you mentioned that you thought the game was all style over substance, and I think that's something that Burns took umbrage with. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Because, sure, I do think a lot of it is kind of this sort of over-the-top sort of goofiness, weird stuff happening. Van driving off trees. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, So it's like all this over-the-top stuff. But then, like, once it gets down to it, there's still, like, these characters that have these things that they care deeply about. And, like, I think... So from the overall plot, like if you're going to like 
lay out this is the plot of Devil May Cry 5, you're just kind of like, okay, that's pretty basic, right? Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it is like the characters and the struggle they're going through and kind of oddly, it's like the loop that Dante and Virgil are caught in um, and, you know, this whole thing where it's like they need to continue to come at each other and fight each other. And then Nero, who's like from the outside, not really respected by either of them, trying to like break that loop and for a game or a series even it seems like um because i think this is kind of the through line through a lot of the other games before it also for a game that's all about like these over-the-top goofy characters that make it seem like they don't care about anything like the games are really all about love like devil may cry 4 is all about like nero's love for kyrie and trying to save kyrie Devil May Cry 5 is all about kind of this, like, Nero kind of searching for this kind of love, like, familial kind of love. And then, like, once he kind of sees that, like, doing what he can to, like, make that a permanent thing almost, right? I think my struggle then is probably in how they convey the emotional depth, because I think that is a struggle. The sulking quiet thinker that's pretty much what he is from the start to towards the end when you realize like what he actually is but there is a button where you can read a book and that's pretty rad pretty neat we got uh we got nero who's young brash disrespected we got dante who's too cool for everything same thing more largely with virgil yeah I, I felt like that there just wasn't a ton there now yes there are these threads that bring them together mm -hmm. and any good story is really about the depth with which you care about the characters mm -hmm. i felt like the characters didn't convey enough emotional deep enough for me to go okay that <laughs> touches something in me they just kind of stayed the same archetype largely from the beginning to the end that's how i interpreted it i don't know i like to think that by i like to think that there are very specific moments that we won't get into where they go past that. Mm -hmm. um, like V's entire arc is interesting. You find out where he came from. He does something at the end that subverted my expectations. I feel like V had a really interesting journey in this. And I wanted, I specifically want to keep his story in the dark because I enjoyed it so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still this aspect of it where they're always going to revert back to... You know, they're just brother. You know, they're they're brothers that are just wrestling on the kitchen floor mm -hmm. after a while, anyway, right? Because it just always happens. Um, but there's still those moments where there's like those connections between the characters um, that like gives you a little bit of that glimmer. And I think the thing that I like, one of the things that I like the most about the narrative in this game is it doesn't like it doesn't fall into like this crazy amount of exposition. A lot of the time, it mostly just sort of shows you what it wants to do instead of telling you like, you know, this is how this is or whatever. And I think that that's really cool. I mean, it's subtle storytelling. It's not necessarily, it's not groundbreaking. I'm not going to say that it's groundbreaking, but I do think that they're likable characters, not just because of like the goofy things they say and the funny things that happen or the cool things that they say, but I think also because of the little bits of depth that they throw in there that 
I think helps turn them away from being just two-dimensional characters into three-dimensional characters. And I think for some of the characters, that's a lot more subdued than others. But I think there's pieces in there to grab onto. I just want to point out that this game had phenomenal pacing. You're following these three main characters. You play as each of them in different segments of the game. And I thought they did an awesome job of starting off as Nero, then your V, then your Nero, then your Dante, then your V. And I just, I love the way they bounce you between the characters, which made combat challenging because like, oh crap, new skill set. How does this oh, work again? Yeah, how, do, how <laughs> does this dude work? Uh, but from the narrative standpoint, I never got sick of any of the characters and I, I kept, it did a really good job of pulling me through the entire adventure. There was nobody, there was no character that, that caused it, that wrecked it for me. Because that can happen in games. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struggling off the top of my head. The the young female character in Borderlands uh, 3 that gets Maya killed. She is the worst character in the game. Bad writing. She essentially ruined it for me. But there was mm-hmm. nobody that I disliked that much. The fact that they could go from character to character. And I wasn't like, oh my god, I'm going back to V again. Um, that did mean something to me. Because not only is the, the pace changed in the story. They changed it so dramatically in gameplay. And mm-hmm. to do both. And then to not have one be overshadowed completely by the others. Which would be easy to do. Because each of these characters, particularly from like just a gameplay standpoint, is could have their own game entirely, mm-hmm. but they're all brought together and they're brought together in such a blend that you enjoy bouncing from one to the other. And sometimes you get to choose which character you do for a mission, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. It was always V for me every it was time. Nero mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's an interesting story and they do a great job of pulling you through it with the different characters. Let's spend some time getting into the nitty gritty of the strengths and weaknesses of DMC. Um, Bernsey, you're a big fan of exploration in games and seeing all that a game has to offer. Did DMC fit your expectations for exploration in a game? I think so. So that was one of the things that, like, starting off playing the game, like, the two things that always, that, that like, I think knocked me out the first time I played through it. Um, one was the constant ranking on the side and not fully understanding what was making it go up faster and what was causing it to fall down um, and getting frustrated that I couldn't try to just keep that up at the highest level. Eventually I got numb to it or started to understand it more. This playthrough that made a lot more sense and that made it easier. I think the other thing, because you do get a bonus um, for going through the mission a little bit faster um, when I first played through the game, I was under the impression then that it's like, well, I can't like explore. I need to just try to rush through things to get a better score at the end, um, which I don't think it affects your letter score if you go through slowly. Um, it, you just don't get I think if you uh, finish a mission efficiently, you get more red orbs. Um, so this playthrough, I didn't really worry about that as much. Um, and so I think then. That opened it up for me to feel comfortable about doing the thing I typically tend to do, which is, all right, let's go back and let's look at every corner. There seems to be a diverging path. Go down one. If it seems like that's a continuation, go back, double back and find the other thing. And it seems like if you go down some sort of a path, you're always going to find something. Um, So it rewards you, whether it's for with like, you know, a small batch of red orbs or one of those big red orb crystals that you hammer on for a while. It just keeps pumping them out at you. Or it's a blue orb fragment or a purple orb fragment or it's a gold orb. Like there is always something or sometimes secret missions. If you went and looked in the nooks and crannies, you could find some of those things. And I appreciate <clears throat> any game that lets me that because this game is fairly linear, right? Yeah. There's, there's branching paths, but very small. Any game that allows me to hold down a button and the game shows me the direction it wants me mm-hmm. to go. 
I love that because it's like, great, that's where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to go the opposite direction right now. And now I know I'm not going to inadvertently not allow myself to come back mm-hmm. because I triggered a cutscene. Yeah. There were a couple of times where I ended up accidentally going down a cliff that you couldn't go back up. <laughs> and I was just like, well, crap. <laughs> but, uh, and then I think the other thing, and, you know, one of the things I brought up to you guys uh, last night uh, is, um, so in one of the missions, there's like these two, these two buildings that you're going between and then you're knocking out these roots that are are these nodes that are destroying roots and then those were holding up the building so they would settle a bit right um in that mission you can find a lady's weapon which is the kalina ann which is a rocket launcher which is super cool i love the names of all the weapons yeah every weapon's got a cool name and so you find that um and that's like missable so if you don't find that at the end of the game you get like the uh, you get the new prototype of an upgraded Kalina and the Kalina and two, I think they even call it. Um, and there's even a little bit of it, what it says, you know, since lady lost her first one, then, uh, Nico made her this one instead. And the cool thing with that is that if you have both of them as Dante, you can equip them both simultaneously. And so instead of shooting the one shot and then it's a longer reload, you get two shots. And then if you hold it down, he merges the two together and it creates this homing laser like a rail gun that you can shoot at something. And it's it's so satisfying. And so, like, rewarding you by giving you this one weapon that makes then the weapon that you will get automatically stronger at the end. Like, that's a really cool way to reward you. It didn't really cheapen the experience not having that, even though I used the rocket launcher a ton up until when I got the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just a really cool way to incentivize you to explore and try to find more things um, in order to do that. And I think the secret missions are another thing another way that it that it really rewards your exploration was there too. was there one in every chapter some I, have multiples i only found like three or four i didn't find many I, of them and in i this felt game. like i was being thorough like i and i never found the rocket launcher either you were the only one that found that yeah mm-hmm. but I, I i found the one in the first chapter like two or three others and those are the only ones i ever came across and i felt like i kind of went everywhere and mm-hmm. and there's there's certain things i didn't know how to get to there was there's a part where we're kind of jumping through these trees and almost and you can see like a blue skull, which you use to increase your vitality. I couldn't figure out how to get over there yeah. in either of my playthroughs. Um, or sometimes when we would have like red orbs hanging really high up in the air, I couldn't lock onto them. I couldn't figure out how to shoot them down. I don't know if there's a way to do that. Sometimes if you if you just get underneath them and shoot, it'll just shoot them. Oh, okay. You don't have to lock onto them. Okay, I could not figure that out for the life of yeah. me. Or like with V Griffin. If you just hit the button for him to attack, he'll just attack him and knock him down. Okay. Yeah. Brian, a deep, nuanced combat system. Strength or weakness? Strength. Strength. I mean, it's you got to have some resolve because it's going to take you a while to learn it. And it is. there are times that it is frustrating because it's there isn't a lot of just like single one-on-one combat moments. It's usually like two or three of the smaller impusas plus like the butcher hatchet guys that are running around with them with the big cleavers. And like this game, if you get cornered, they can really pound the living bejesus out of you. Like it – so there's there's a – there's a lot that's happening at one time while you're also trying to remember tempo. You're also trying to remember um, uh, control notation. There's just a lot of pieces to it. But when all of these things start to come together, it's crazy how like you'll be in a room 
and nothing can touch you and you're moving from guy to guy and, and, and you're stunning the things that are around you and then singling something out and taking it to the air and just keeping it moving. So uh, like I had mentioned kind of it, how it's, it's almost like drinking, you know, from a fire hose, there's so much mm-hmm. coming at you when you take time to kind of digest and kind of look at the wild part to me that is so incredible, particularly with Dante, there is so many mechanics to how you can interact and fight, but so many different ways that each of these mechanics, if you took a flow chart, can lead into each other and then lead back into themselves or something else. Mm-hmm. And you can go all over with it. Um, one thing that you can do by accident, which I did, if you hold in the right stick, it, it starts what's called auto mode. Basically, it starts switching between your weapons randomly to show you like, hey, this is how you combo and this is how we get S rank stuff. And I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, why is my game bugged? I had to look it up online and it turns out that it's a common problem people ran into. (laughs) But then you start to kind of realize like, okay, all of these things can start to come together and essentially you can put a ton of enemies into some sort of like uh, almost like stun state and keep them there and definitely as long as you're thinking fast enough Mm -hmm. but if you're only think about what you're doing now and not what you're doing next you're gonna drop it and getting to that next point where you're thinking just a step or two ahead that was the hardest thing to get to Uh, i think it's a strength that i didn't have to get that nuanced with the combat system that i was able to do a couple of basic moves and get through the entire game i don't even need all this other stuff you're just a chump (laughs) i never got a triple s ranking in a fight I got a couple. I only um, got. I only got. I, I had quite a few double S ranks, but I never quite got up to triple S. I never got higher. I don't think I ever got higher than an S or a double S in a boss fight. I know in a couple of minion fights I got the triple, but the boss fights, like I don't. I'd have to research on how to do better on those because, like, I got hit so often yeah, in a lot of that, those. That's the thing. Just, you just have to be able you're to just avoid dropping the combo. As much as you can, yeah. Which and, and the game's not easy to dodge with. There's yes, you can dodge. But it's not a great dodge, to be honest. Like, you can kind of get clipped at the start animation, the end, and it's not a huge amount of invincibility in between. So it's it was unique how the game is so aggressive. That it, honestly, offense is the best defense. That's yeah. how this game was specifically built. There was some... There were some times uh, with both Nero and Dante that I would get into just, like, a real good rhythm of dodging stuff. And, like, nothing would hit me, but I'm not hitting anything either. So, <laughs> so that was that was also a problem eventually. But, yeah. It's a stalemate. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Welcome to Devil May Cry Prom. Uh, one thing that I thought was a real strength, and it's an interesting choice of words given how style is tied into this game but this game is just oozes style it's super stylish it's such a slick production everything looks phenomenal like playing it it looks like a brand new game running on the best technology like playing that ps5 mm-hmm. was a visual treat and i just love the look i love the story i love the entire like visual package all of the fights looked phenomenal the effects all look great the set pieces were awesome mm-hmm. just character visually. design like yeah. everything yeah. it's just like you like it drips off the game that's maybe the best way to put it just the whole game has that game's um, got a lot of drip yeah a lot of drip <laughs> <laughs> look at this guy now we're trending on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> burns the humor in the game strength or weakness did this game get you laughing yes uh, I laughed a lot. I, I really like the humor. My favorite bits, just because of how insanely dumb it is, is so right before you get to the end of a mission, because uh, pretty much every mission ends in a boss fight. And when you get to the end of the mission, um, in a lot of the earlier missions, you'll have a payphone that you can use. 
Um, and so I really liked <laughs> a that they had like unique things that the character did at each payphone that was unique to that one, which I thought added a nice little touch of characterization of the character. But then B, um, and this really hit me on one of the missions. You're in this like library, and there's this payphone that you use, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna call the payphone. Nico's gonna come and help. How is this gonna work? All of a sudden, this van comes crashing through the ceiling of the library <laughs> and just lands. It just lands, <laughs> and it's just like the dumbest thing. Hello ever. there, sugar. I, I laughed so much. Uh, there's another one where it's like, like a volcano, right? Yeah, and there's another one where like Nero's just standing there, and then like. The car's just barreling at him and then, like, stops, like, right by him. And, like, in his know. face. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so funny. Like, just the little things they did with that. I think Nico's character was a good addition to have, like, that character that, like, basically provided a lot of that comedic relief or opportunity for comedic re- comedic moments to come out of the other characters, um, which which I thought was, which I thought was good. Um, but yeah, overall, I just, I really like the use of humor. It didn't like go over the top with it. Um, I feel like it hit at the right times and hit the right notes. Um, cause but, Zany, Zany could take away from that aesthetic. Yeah. You're dealing with demons and the world's falling apart. I think if they went too far with the comedy, you would lose the feeling mm-hmm. of the aesthetic they were creating as is. Yeah. I thought the humor was also just awesome in this game. Um, uh, Brian, you took issue with how the conversion van got through everything. Yeah, that was that was the part when I think Burns covered it well. You call from the payphone. It does not matter what is there. She's driving through it, and she will park the van. Yeah. But like looking at the size of those wheels and the ground clearance, she could probably like get through a lot of stuff. And that's a beefy van. I mean, after the intro, you just know that that van can do anything. Um, character design, strength or weakness? I think strength. I think they made everybody different enough to at least be interesting i may not have been like completely gripped by the story right i already kind of talked about that um but i didn't find anyone to be just flat out boring i think virgil can get that way at times well because um, you got all these like wild crazy yeah. out there characters and he's, and he's, a, he's like very completely sh- subdued. yeah he's like a com- like a very very sh- like as they say they're like the straight man there's like not a lot of of humor to him and he's just like very very focused um but he's got a lot of stuff to do dude i guess he's, he's running around battling things in hell um, but it's uh i think that everybody's got enough variability in the personality i sometimes think lady's kind of boring um and I don't think necessarily Trish is all that interesting. Well, because there's there's not much for them to do in this game. Yeah, I think a lot of like knowing those characters or liking those characters would come from like the other games leading into this because they're they're really like they play little like, little bits in this one. Um, they're essentially cameos. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the part. idea. Um, but I do like you know having watched through the story of a lot of the other games. Like, there's some moments in there where. There's like things that some of those like more bit characters or cameo characters will say or do or will interplay into it that like makes a lot of sense with other things that have happened in the game or in the previous games. And I think I think that is that's really cool that they that they threw that in there. Now, I know a lot of series will do that, but it was still really cool to see those moments. Um, And I think is a good a good way to pay attention to your 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 diehard fans that have played through all these games multiple times and have an affinity for those characters. Yeah, because they get, they get to extract joy from secret information, and that's yeah. something we all appreciate in the game. Oh, oh did, yeah. you, did you catch this Easter egg? Oh my god, did you yep. see that thing on the shelf? Do you know what that referenced? Um, I mean, that's when we all watched the Mario movie. 
half of that movie was me looking at the background to find <laughs> Easter eggs. It's just it's just stuff that just kind of makes you feel good because you're like, hey, I'm familiar with this. I know this. Um, and that was written for me. I like inside jokes. Can't wait to be a part of one someday. <laughs> Isn't that geography? Or was that geography jokes? No, it was it was from uh that's from the Oh office. I know it's the office yeah. when they're at the party. Yeah. Kelsey watched it on a flight on the way to Puerto Rico last week. She tapped my leg. I knew the words coming out of his mouth even though I couldn't hear the audio. I was just like, Oh man, I've watched that too much. <laughs> Love it. Birds, you've dabbled with a lot of Devil May Cry things leading up to the show. Where does DMC5 come in on the approachability scale for games? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is by far the most approachable of the of the Devil May Cry games. Why? Um, well, so a it's the the game's just the most modern. I think that's one big thing. Um, like we were talking about before, the fact that it gives you gold orbs for logging in. You tend to just have more of those as you're going through the game. Um, there's some things with the progression. Uh, I guess I don't know if I'd rather have it. So in Devil May Cry 4, you would have your red orbs, and then you also had a different currency that you earned. Um, that different currency is what you use to let to purchase your combos and everything. Okay. And then the red orbs were just used to purchase like items. Hmm. Um, but items aren't as important. I guess I can't say that because outside of the arms are. for Nero, but outside really of the arms for Nero, many. yeah. So I don't know. I do. Lo- I, I don't know. I, I, it streams lights it though, so you don't have these two currencies that you're trying to that you're trying to build up. You just get a bunch of red orbs and then spend them the way that you need to. Um, I think because you're bouncing back and forth between the characters, it gets a little tricky to try to decide what it is that you level up or who you level things up with. But I think kind of like what Tom and I did, if you just focus on the characters you like the most and that you're probably going to be choosing to play as when you have options, you're better off, you're better served to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then level up only the things that you think, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that a lot of those things make it more approachable. I also think just that I think the story is pretty self-involved. Like any information that you really need either happens within the game or is mentioned in the game or like refers back to it or shows it in the game in some way or shape or form. So it's not like you're going to be missing out, even though you'll get some nods here or there of something that else that happened, or you'll maybe have more affinity for a character that never actually shows up in the game, but, but is mentioned a bunch like Kyrie. Yeah. yeah. You're not lost. Um, you know, you, you, you can fully understand what's going on with it and still fully enjoy the experience, I think without having a lot of that. So that's why I would say, it's more uh, more approachable than a lot sense. of the other Devil May Cry For games. Sure. So where the game mechanics may be a challenge, the game itself, like the narrative, understand the world, they make it very, they make it very easy to understand where everyone's coming from. Yes. Okay. Yes. I get that. And it does it does tutorialize pretty well, like what you're supposed to be doing at different times, um, and having the void. Not that I used it, but gives you that opportunity or tells you that you have that opportunity to go test things out to try to pick some of those things up. I was playing some of World and some of Devil May Cry at the same time, uh-huh. and I deeply appreciate how Capcom at times is not holding you by the hand, but it's much clearer about what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. Because, like, I don't want to have to go on Reddit to figure out what I'm supposed to do. That part sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One weakness I noted is, I'm bad at games. <clears throat> just i host the gaming show <laughs> uh a lot of the nuance of the fighting system was just wasted on me and like i know that i could learn dante and i could invest in his moves and i could build that out but it's like you know i got through the story i got to enjoy the package and like no i think i'm done like i might pop in from time to time but like i'm 
even though that I couldn't fully appreciate the nuance of like the fighting game mechanics crammed into an action game, uh, I was still able to get through it and have a good time. And it wasn't like my lack of skill completely held me back. Sure, it would have been nice to be more efficient in a lot of fights, but I really appreciated how they made it approachable. Okay, so you either have the progression and combat system of like the devil may of devil may cry five. And that's in all like action RPG games moving forward, or it's the leveling progression combat system of like dark souls, dark souls. Really? Yeah. That's your one. Yeah. I would rather this like hands down. I'm with Joe. Yeah. I like collecting souls. I like spending my souls to buy my attributes. Red orbs. You don't lose the red orbs when you get hit. You're not you're not freaking Sonic running around, <laughs> you know, like and, you like you are in Dark Souls apparently. And the thing I like about this compared to like Souls, Souls, once you get the move sets, there's no expansion of the move sets. You're only improving your attributes. Sure, it lets you carry something else, which might let you use a different weapon, but it doesn't change the gameplay. Your gameplay is your gameplay. Now you can just survive a hit a little bit harder. That's that's my fight with, with Souls games is that largely it is the exact same core mechanics from beginning to end with no evolution. That's one of my fights with those series. But I also think, Tom, it's such a challenge for you because you do get games in such bite-sized amounts because of how you have to play them with what we do. It's n- I can only imagine that there's got to be other games that you play that because it's in a bite-sized amount, you never even get really a lot of joy or fun from it because it's you're, you're there and you're gone. It's like a one-night stand. I mean, I enjoy the games that I play for the most part. Like, uh, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Okay. Just so you know... Um, it doesn't help you at all to hold down R1 when you're playing Diablo 4. Because I definitely, after playing, after playing Devil May Cry 5 and then jumping into Diablo 4, I had a few moments just where it's just like, why am I holding this? Like, this is just good. remap your basic attack to R1. I guess so. Right? And then throw your ultimate right in the trash and uh, cut most of your class abilities and you're all set. Good to yeah. go. So yeah, on that note, the, the, well, the biggest weakness for me is, yeah... Holy balls. It was tough. Does like, it feels Burns like. Burns is flexing his hand for yeah, the audio. The finger, space. like holding down the R1 and using the thumb, like the thumb tissue into the wrist and forearm. Yeah. Holy balls. Does it feel like, it just feels like it hurts <laughs> playing this game for too long. Not only are you holding it for, for the, for the duration of whatever these fights are, and which is lots and lots and lots of fights, but at the same time, it's really intense. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if you guys felt, like, just intense during the fight. It's like, oh, I have to hit this button as oh, hard yeah. as I can because yep. you need to dart. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> you have a lot of rage in your heart, my friend. <laughs> you do. You have no clue. You got mini Kratos over here. Yeah, just yeah. With no <laughs> clue. Waiting to hit R3 and L3 and bring out the Spartan Rage on us. I, I will say, though, I still think I prefer the combat system in God of War. I think I do. It's a little bit more simplistic, but I also feel like it's not quite as chaotic. Mm-hmm. I like that I have to pick and choose and how I can't always be offensive. Devil May Cry, you can literally be offensive the whole time. You never really have to think about defense. Yeah. I like having to have that that pull, that take. That's that's why I like Monster Hunter. You attack the monster, now the monster gets a turn to attack you, and you go back and forth that mm-hmm. way. If Devil May Cry 6 came out next week, would you play it? Would you mm-hmm. make oh, time to play it? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah, 100%. I think me too. I've, I'm a fan of the series now, and I may not love everything about it. But man, did they create a really cool game experience. Now, Devil May Cry 6 won't come out next week because they have Dragon's Dogma 2 coming out in March. No one's going to even care about that. No, I know. That game's going to be the awesome. developers that yeah. make the Nobody Devil May Cry games. Nobody even likes that, that game. 
disagree nobody, wholehearted and vehemently. Nobody has ever liked it. It's getting tons of hype. It might be one of the. It's going to be one of the bigger games of the year. No, no, no. It no. definitely will be. I, I bet under a hundred thousand units sold. There we go. <laughs> you are so yeah, wrong. You're on. On day one, it's going to surpass that probably by <laughs> like ten times. Other strengths and weaknesses of Devil May Cry Five. Any other final? Points you want to make before we get into our final thoughts. I don't know. After playing four, I really wish they would have like at least like shown Kyrie. <laughs> Not that you guys care about her because you really don't know her other than the mm-hmm. few times her name was mentioned. But um, you know that's Nero's love interest from uh, four. Um, not a super supremely interesting character, but it would have been just like cool to see her and like how she looks since like this the the look of this game is very different from Devil May Cry four. So I I, I was just kind of interested to see like a little bit more modernized look of what like what she looks like then with more modern clothes than like in that one which is more everybody's like more medievally dressed even from like the anime going from the animated to the game like just how much dante like yep. yes the jacket's the same the boots are the same the leather pants like he plays in motley crew but like it was interesting to see how much his aesthetic has changed because like that aesthetic is based off of one and two for sure mm-hmm. and like that really doesn't look like him anymore nope well, he's older now too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's like what twenty years have passed or something. Yeah. Um, one other thing I'll say: and this isn't weaknesses, this is strengths. But uh, I think the voice acting is all really good, and then the music I think is really good. I wouldn't say it's like the greatest soundtrack in games, a lot of rock. but some of the songs are yes. pretty pretty awesome. One of the really interesting things about this game is that instead of having like like most games will have a composer for the entire game. This game tends to have a composer for each character. Oh, interesting. So so there is one person that made the songs surrounding Dante, one person that made the songs surrounding V. That's a cool idea. Um, The person who did the the, menu theme is the one that did Nico's theme when you're in the shop buying from her mm-hmm. um so it's a really neat way that they did that and then they had a couple of people that were overseeing that were like building the connective tissue between some of those things and then working with those and then yeah the person that did both nero's theme and then virgil's theme when you play as him uh was the same person too i would have so wanted virgil's theme to be it's raining men it would have been just <laughs> just the absolute best yeah and if you look up like devil trigger or bury the light which is virgil's theme online you will see like just millions of videos of people listening, reacting to it, talking about it, because there is like a huge fandom for specifically those two songs um, out there in the internet ether. So oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. wild. Yeah. Brian, your final thoughts and takeaways on Devil May Cry 5. I will. This is a series where I will play more of it. I'm not going to go backwards. I don't think I don't think I want to do four. I don't want to do three. Talking what you guys have been talking about one. I, I remember one. It's rough. With, with fondness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of that happens, right? Because we just get games get a lot more. Um, we get a lot more accessibility and quality of life options as oh, they yeah. go on. I mean, I've got patients right now playing Vanilla WoW, and they're just like, oh, I miss how everything sucked. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> and it's it's just funny how we are that way. It's a nostalgia thing. But um, if when 6 comes out, I will certainly play 6. Um, and I actually might go through 5 one more time to try to get more of an understanding of how some of these systems work with Dante. Um, but it's it's fun because it's just I can play a chapter and be done. Yep. And I love that. That's yep. a beautiful thing about some of these games that are more linear. It's like, okay, picked it up. 
I did something. I put it down. I go on with my day. Yeah. And it's, it's hard with some of our Elden Rings and some of our, our Dark Soul games because you have to kind of keep going in yeah. some cases, even when you don't want to. You also can't pause the game. So there's chances with that. Um, but it's, it is a slick game. It is really well refined. Um, and I'm so happy that we kind of randomly picked this up because of Final Fantasy 16 and we all came away going, Hey, this is, this is something I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd also say like, and it also leads to the approachability. It's so nice having a game that's 12 to 15 hours to beat, yes. as opposed to, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours, which is one of the reasons why it's like so many people are like, oh, this game's only 15 hours. It's not worth $70. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... Chrono Trigger <laughs> is 15 hours. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's just one of those things where I think this game, like, you've played it through once. You want to play... You're played through it twice. You yep. want to play it through another time. Like, that's where the replayability comes with this. And that's where you're getting, like, your time out of it is by, if you want to, digging into the nuances of it. But otherwise, you're still fulfilled with it. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed this game far more than I thought I was going to, especially, you know, since I played it a couple years ago and just it didn't really grab me. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really liked kind of digging into the series in general, even though I didn't play all the games. I got a lot into it. And, it's a cool uh, series. Yeah, and I would say, like, Devil May Cry 5 is the favorite game I've played since God of War Ragnarok. Oh, I probably. love that. So, yeah. I and just... the anime is coming out. Or not the anime, sorry, the Netflix yep. version. Yep. And knowing that it's also, you said, has ties to the Castlevania, that same group that helped yep. with that. I'm very excited because yeah. they really love on their source material. Yeah. I, I will absolutely try that. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see how that is. And so, yeah, I'm really glad I played this. I'm hoping to play through some more of the games. Like, I really want to finish 4 since I'm most of the way through it. Um, you know, but as time goes on, try to play more of it. And yeah, like you said, the next one, I'm, I'm definitely there for Devil May Cry 6 or whatever the next thing might be. This game was amazing, and I'm very glad that we played it for the show and had a chance to talk about it. I'm not quite in the same camp as Burns. Like, I prefer Lies of P, I prefer Diablo 4, but it is right in that upper echelon of, like, PS5 games for me. Oh, I forgot about Lies of P. No, it's not. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't get up there for me. It, it just. It's for a game. Capcom has struggled with quality in recent years. Um, I think that's something that's understood with their the, the publisher. They had Monster Hunter World was kind of the start of that resurgence. The apology like letter. Yeah. Two remake. Re yeah. Four remake. Yeah. Like a lot of games more recently. Capcom's in like this huge resurgence. Yep. And, and this, Devil May Cry was kind of at the top of that. Devil May Cry Five was at the top. And of that this too. is Capcom at its best. Yep. This is it's it's so. Polished is the only way I can put it. Mm-hmm. They just—it's—it's it's just amazing they can do it. And the—the the last thing I will say about this game, the part that's crazy that makes me keep coming back to it, it's—it's it's almost like painting, right? You can paint in monochromatic colors, you can paint in one or two colors, or you can keep learning and you can keep seeing more hues and more colors and painting something more vivid. And that's how the game goes. You just keep growing with it, and that's a really neat thing because it's hard to reproduce. Yeah, well said. Uh, it's also going to make me go back and play some crappy old games. So. <laughs> Good on DMC5. <laughs> that is our show on Devil May Cry. Next month, we're going to do our annual director show, breaking down Matthew Vaughn movies with Phoenix, Joey, and Casey. And you can look forward to a top five reasons why Daniel Craig sucks. Look at you there, Burns. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Brian at Not on the Internet, for Joey at Hobbybox Burns on X, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.